Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. to Bard's Logic, Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. And tonight we have our guest blogger, Susan Kraft, on the show to talk about uh, some issues of government control, namely our water, windshields, and lemonade stands. So looking forward uh, to the show tonight, having her on. And uh, next week, we'll have Sharon Kane on, Crone, I should say, as well as Christine Timmons. So looking forward to that conversation. It's going to be a wild show, I bet, uh, for that. And so uh, 
We'll see that next Wednesday at 10 p.m. And if you're listening to the show, uh, we will appreciate you coming on. And, of course, just share the link if you're listening either to the live show now or the archives so that your friends can come in and listen as well. And, of course, be a part of the show. Uh, because this is the grassroots We the People show. This is your show where you call us and do much of what we're doing tonight. And when you have a certain topic you would like to have discussed on the show, come to us, and we will be gladly to uh, feature that on our show. And the way you can do that is by going to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, uh, go to the contact page, and send me a message and some information on the topics that you would like to discuss. We'll get you a schedule on there uh, to do that. Now let's go ahead and bring our guest on. Uh, Susan, thank you very much. Uh, Susan, for coming to the show, how are you tonight? I'm fine. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. It does sound like it's a little muffled. Hopefully we don't get uh, a lot of that, but uh, perhaps you can turn up the gain or whatever you guys uh, do on that, and, and we'll get you started. Okay. Can you hear it better? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we can. Oh, oh okay. So, okay, so you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be able to get to our topics tonight. And, of course, uh, for those who are um, uh, there, I'd like to also uh, welcome Paul uh, into the chat as well as others. And if you'd like to uh, chime in to tonight's show, give us a call at 347-945-7428. And if you are a Twitter user just and you listen to it live or on the archive, I know a lot of folks listen to the show either through podcasts on iTunes or also even through their cell phones, which is amazing, of course, with the browsers. Uh, just if you're a Twitter user, uh, just uh, put the title of the show and then the link and then send it out to your followers. Or if you'd like to be a part of the email list, also give us a shout by going to bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Go to the contact page and say you'd like to be on the email list, and we'll get you on there, which will give you uh, links to the previous shows as well as we'll also get you some links to the upcoming shows as well. And so uh, definitely uh, whether you listen to the archive or the live now, just go ahead and do that. And you can also follow the show uh, by here on Blog Talk Radio, pushing the little follow button, which will get you to follow on the show, and you can get emails through that as well. So let's go ahead and bring it over uh, to you. Uh, and then we do see a couple other folks on the line. And if you'd like to chime in, just push the one on the number dial, and we'll get uh, you on the show. And since I'm mentioning that, one thing to tell folks who are new to the show is that if you like, once you call in and we get you on the talk with us, you are able to stay on the show as long as you like and be a part of our uh, roundtable discussion and the discussion for the evening. Unlike you know, a lot of shows, you get your five, ten minutes in there, and then they're like, well, thank you uh, for coming to the show. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, goodbye. Uh, we do not do that here at Bard's Logic Political Talk. So one of the things we want to discuss, you know, we will get to our topics today, and one of our contributors, who right now uh, is an anonymous uh, contributor, but we're going to – Go ahead and get uh, use their information uh, as well, because of course is, is authoritative, and uh, just some things to bring up. Let's, let's go ahead and uh, one thing on your post uh, on your uh, Facebook page, and that's Liberty Bites talks about Phyllis uh, Schlafly, 
Uh, and tell us more about, because uh, I didn't see if folks be interested in that. Uh, so tell us more about her and the ERA movement. Um, and talk about the, uh, you know, the battle against that. Go ahead. Ah, uh, me? <laughs> okay. Well, um, I wrote it because I really admire her. I listened to the, um, uh, I, I, I get her emails from her uh, articles. And I followed her years ago when she wrote Choice, Not an Echo. And um, she she led the movement against the ERA, and it was uh, quite a dangerous movement. I can't load my article right now because my computer is acting up. But um, she's an amazing lady, and um, she uh, has a group that gathers every year. She just updated her book, in fact, on um, um, the uh, on her uh, that choice uh, on Echo, which is about the kingmakers and how the, many of them, the Rockefellers and all them, gather and many times choose our political candidates, um, which is, I believe, to, uh, it, it's quite true. Um, she uh, was attacked by uh, many of these groups. Uh, including Betty Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-A-N Friedman. Um, they wanted to just burn her at the stake. And uh, she had presidents behind the feminist movement, and um, it was the NOW group. Um, they went after her. Um, for 25 years, she had no income, a separate income, and raised six children. I think she's an amazing woman. Um, she wrote an article called What's Wrong with Equal Rights for Women? And um, she has also fought uh, the uh, law of the sea um, that they were trying to get through. She has done a lot of things like that, pro-family, common core education. Um, uh, <clears throat> she's very well studied, very well versed. And I have appreciated reading all her stuff. And, and you just, you know, I, I talk about her every so often when I get her articles. I put, from the Phyllis, as in Shaftley. Uh, she speaks, I listen. <laughs> and I do. I do. Because um, she's the one who pointed out how women are unfairly treated in our society. And they, um, by the feminist movement, stated that. And they felt women needed legalization in the government to make it in today's world. And... Um, of course, we know that that's not true. Um, many times, the equal rights in them, it, what, it, what it would have done is to actually make it worse for women. And um, the current Supreme Court Justice, Ruth Beta Ginsburg, actually based um, the ERA, based their arguments on the writings of pro-ERA law professors, and she was one of them. And it would have required women to be drafted into military combat anytime men were conscripted. And abolish the, it would also abolish the presumption that the husband should support his wife and would have taken away security benefits for wives and widows. So there was a lot of things that this would have done, and she, she almost single-handedly stopped it. So that is that was what my blog article on Phyllis Shaffley was about. Hello? Okay, and all, I'm here. And also, oh, okay. uh, it looks, you know, no, I'm just listening. I'm actually uh, multitasking, as I do here on the show, one of the lich 
is I am chatting with Paul on the chat here, uh, and he has some uh, things uh, to say, probably they're perhaps even uh, tongue-in-cheek about uh, you being the leader of a vile, even nefarious domestic terrorist group. And since uh, Paul brought that up, uh, let's go ahead and uh, talk more about your uh, your group. Uh, my government vice. Well, it's been it's smaller than some and bigger than others. Um, but I started it because the, ra- the raging the, the raging granny menace. Oh, that's not the name of my actual Facebook political group. Uh, I don't really. That's just a naming Jamie because I don't know. You have to ask him. He just started because he he thinks that black helicopters are going to land in our backyard any time because of all the congressmen I call them, the troubles I raise. But you know what else? I actually got, uh, and I'm not I'm not joking. I don't know if that's anything you know anything at all. But I mean I'm not joking. I was actually and I won't say his name, but driving with uh, a coworker one time. And uh, I literally, and he noticed that not I, 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 not I, and I'm not making anything of it, but it is an interesting point is I was actually, uh, my car was actually followed, not by a black helicopter, uh, but by a drone. And he's like, what is that? And he noticed that there was a drone following my car. Uh, no, I'm not going to tr- wow. make a lot of hay about it, uh, but it was interesting. And then, uh, then actually, eventually there were, uh, or was a helicopter. Uh, that was interestingly enough uh, hovering over uh, the different streets that I was uh, driving past and, and roadways. So as I said, I'm not gonna make a lot of hay of it, but uh, my coworker was kind of freaked out, like Robert, what are you into? <laughs> so uh, uh-huh. I don't know. It only happened once, but I found it interesting. Go ahead. All right. So um, that that's really about it. I've had a lot of people tease me about that. My client, one of them was, uh, I told him I called Hillary Clinton about our pastor from Idaho, Saeed Abedini, and he said, honey, get the guns. We're out of here. She called Hillary. <laughs> so oh I didn't know if he was, yeah, so I guess that makes some of them a little nervous about doing that, you know. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, uh now that I've done all that, said all that, I don't know if you want to get to the topic or not. Yeah, um, we could get about, you know, straight through it. You know, there's other things I want to, uh, to talk okay. about, such as you know, you're you're you're, you're not too much love for uh, Fox News. Uh, maybe it's because uh, oh. Rupert Murdoch <laughs> and all his money collections from uh, some Saudi princes. I don't know. That might have something to do with it, would it? Oh, uh, yeah, that was it. I just want people to understand that it's uh, not uh, everything you think. It, it, I called it Fox to Fake News, and uh, I'm not saying there isn't so appeal that it's, um, yeah, there's a Saudi prince. I mean, he is Jewish, um, or he has that in him, and he, he takes both sides. I mean, he took their side, but when the Saudi prince speaks, Rupert Murdoch listens. And I don't agree with that. I think he um, he's, they, he's not the only one, of course, that's uh, part of that. But um, he, like I said, he has deep Jewish roots, and yet he allowed a Muslim prince to invest in Fox. So he plays both sides. And I don't feel comfortable with that at all. 
when the Saudi prince said, do not put down that it's a Muslim, oh, they had a, a riots in France, and uh, he said, take that off. Just put down it's a riot, and he did it. He did what he said. So many talks. Um, he has big stakes in rival media giants Time Warner and Disney, and uh, King Abdullah uh, is his uncle. And so I feel that uh, he rules it under Sharia law. Yet Sean Hannity or the talk show on the network screams about Sharia law replacing our laws. So, you know, it's kind of like you know, a pot calling the kettle black in a way. You take money from someone who rules under Sharia law, yet you scream about it. So I'm not too impressed. I'm not saying I'm impressed with the other media outlets that are more liberal either. I'm I'm just saying if we don't if we just take what we are told is a conservative newscast and we take everything they say at face value, we're in trouble. We don't least that is why. I wrote that article on that. Sav by the way, Michael Savage has no love for Fox News either. So I know you know yeah, who no, Right, and I, and I haven't been real. Uh, we, I, I think they actually lost a listener after uh, kind of disparaging uh, Fox News, but uh, that's okay. Be that as it may, um, I kind of lost my interest in Fox News. I actually pay more attention to CNN now, believe it or not. Um, but you know, especially after the way they handled, uh, you know, especially the way Snowden. in which they ha- yeah, especially the way they handled 2012. And really touting Romney when he was the worst candidate. They say they're conservative, but they're 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 more of a show for the Republican establishment before they are conservative. At least that's my uh, my take on it. You know, especially since 2012. I mean, I was an avid uh, Fox News both listener and viewer, um, and so uh, you know we would uh, you know, but not after 2012. I just was not uh, not excited. It started with uh, Bill O'Reilly. Uh, now, one of the things I want to talk about, is, you know, is we've got plenty of time. My gosh, uh, it's a three-hour show, and so uh, one of the things I want to, you know, talk about, you know, give more people knowledge about, you know, yourself, things of that nature, is in our little description, little bio of you. It says how uh, you uh, hear from Democrats and Republicans and the staffers know you. Uh, neighbor, uh, namely uh, congressmen and senators such as uh, Crapo, Reich, Labrador, and Simpson from Idaho. Okay. Now, right. one other thing that I've uh, seen, uh, something with the two things. One, it's called the Gem State Patriot. Perhaps we'll talk more about that. But uh, mostly is uh, the conversation, you may or may not already know this, about Crapo, Reich, and Simpson. And perhaps this is what you uh, emailed or talked to them about is about how they voted, Crapo, Reich, and Simpson, uh, Labrador did not, uh, but those three actually voted for the TPA or otherwise the Trade Promotion Authority. Is that what, one of the things yeah. you did in contact with them about? I have beat on their doorstep, so to speak, a lot. Uh, I was very frustrated with them. They usually do a pretty good job, and I don't know why they did this. I don't know how many links I posted. Showing them, showing them from the John Birch Society to uh, from Mike to other people. I post a link after link on their site, you know, where you www.senate.rich.gov. And I, I can't explain it to you. I just don't understand because Rich is 
he has a pretty high rating actually on conservative issues, and but they just mm-hmm. don't get it. They they just don't get it. I don't know. I can't explain it. But yes, I did pound on him. And uh, it's right. funny because Bernie, Bernie Sanders voted against it. Imagine that. Ain't that something? And, yeah. and also, the, you know, the John Burson Society, which you remember, uh, has the Freedom Index. Uh, what, what, what does it say about yeah. these, uh, these gentlemen? I think uh, you know? there's been times he's been in the 80s and 90s for certain issues where Crapo's been like in the 70s or top 60s or bottom 70s. Uh, Labrador is rated in the 90s as a rule. Uh, so uh, we won't even talk about Simpson. He's an idiot, but he's my idiot. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. <laughs> that means he's in my district, so I call him an idiot. <laughs> got it. Because what? I say got it. Go ahead. But he's my idiot. <laughs> I put it, it's probably not nice, but yeah, it's truthful. And sometimes when you're truthful, it's not so nice. The truth hurts sometimes, so, doesn't it? It's it, the phrase. Yes, it does. I don't know if he'd even respond to me, <laughs> but I have pounded on Simpson because, oh, there's so many times he he uses the word democracy. And I call and I go, well, 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 we're not a democracy. We are a republic. Tell him I said that. So he has gotten that message a good many times from me. He, he doesn't get it. He really doesn't get it for whatever reason. I don't know. I can't tell you. Doesn't want to get it, I guess. Well, I guess so. not. Guess not. And, and as I said, you know, earlier, I do see folks uh, who are uh, on the line. And if you'd like to chime in tonight and be a part of tonight's show, just push the one on your number dial, and I will get you uh, into the show. It may take a little bit, but normally we're really good with getting folks in, everybody in. And also, uh, as I said, you can stay on as long as the show. And for all the new folks here, uh, definitely uh, share the link tonight, uh, especially if you're on uh, Facebook or Twitter. Of course, you can also email folks in which you can put uh, tonight's topic and link or the title and link onto your uh, Twitter feed and then send it out to all your followers. Maybe they'll come in and, and join you on the show. Or you can uh, just email folks or come to the Bards Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Go ahead and put the, uh, you know, in the, the contact page and then join our mailing list as well as you can follow uh, the show here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, we'll get some other questions. Let's go ahead and get to the uh, one of the topics tonight. And, of course, one of our main topics is I'm going to kind of move this around some. Uh, but first, let's go ahead and, uh, you know, it's about government control of your water, windshields, and lemonade. And uh, we will definitely get to the water and the, and the lemonade. Uh, but let's go ahead and talk about windshields. That's something that's new to me, something about cracked windshields. Go ahead. Well, um, there was a driver. And see, this all starts with it's not just the federal government that has, a tight grip on us and, and, and with rules and regulations. It's the city, the county, the state, and you know what? We have allowed it. My mother always said, and she's a very wise woman, if you can't control the little things, if you can't keep track of and do the right things with the little things, I can't trust you with the big things. We have a we have fought for the big things. Many of you call them Benghazi and 
the IRS and you fight these things, but you know, you let the little things slip. And that's where it starts is with the little things. Like this driver was ticketed for damaged windshield. And he was, um, this is in Colorado. Um, and he was, his car had been vandalized, uh, the, the windshield, and it was on the passenger side. And um, this was in August. And um, he got a ticket. He, he was just driving in right into the shop itself. He was turning in. He did a repair. He had an appointment and everything. And the sheriff stopped him and uh, handed him a uh, a ticket. And just minutes before his appointment. And all the guys that were ready for his appointment standing there in the shop in the door waiting. And they watched it happen. And... Um, he had plenty of visibility because, like I said, it was on the other side. And he tried to explain to the deputy he had an appointment. He was pulling right in there. The sheriff's office declined to comment, and the sheriff still gave him the ticket. And he definitely says he's going to fight it. And um, the man who owns the shop that was going to repair it said, if the judge doesn't dismiss this thing, he himself will personally pay the ticket for the, for the man. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. it. This is just just ridiculous that this happened. Just for him, you know, and this is the whole thing. If we don't fight these little things, we're being taken over. Gradually, you, you can't move, you can't breathe without something being wrong. There's so many laws and so many rules. And mm-hmm. yes, there has to be a few, but um, something like that, it's just ridiculous. And that's, that's now, Paul, the story. I just read. Now, Paul in the chat uh, asked, uh, asked me to ask you about your experience in Boise Courthouse when you got annoyed with the court security. Oh, my God. You're kidding me. <laughs> well, okay. Um, yeah, uh, they, uh, that's happened twice. Uh, actually, the one time they, I had a knee brace on, and um, I didn't know there was any metal in it. I really didn't. And um, they put the things, you know, you know, where they run it up and down your leg in different places to see the metal. And he said, well, you have uh, metal down there. And I said, what? Oh. He goes, well, you have to take it off. Well, my pants were the kind that were tight around the leg, and I couldn't pull them up to try to get the knee brace off. The only way was to pull the pants down. And I told him this, and he just looked at me and said, we need to see it. And quite frankly, I was a little disgusted, and my daughter was me, and she was so embarrassed with what I did next. She was just, in fact, embarrassment isn't even a word, disgusted. Um, I point blank just looked at him and said, I'm going to take everything off since you're going to be this way. And I started on buttoning my boss. I was going to take, I was going to strip nothing. I said, that's what's going to happen. And I got down to about the third button, and he said, it's okay, miss, just go through. I called the boss. I I, I didn't care. I would have done it. I didn't care anymore. I was past the point. And the other experience was I had one of those, uh, what do you call it, that you hang around your neck or carry, and it has keys on it. Uh, I can't think of the name of that. You know what I'm talking about. They carry them in hospitals and everything. And it was a Seahawks one. And uh, Mm -hmm. they had put my purse through and everything else. And he said, I want to look at that. And I thought, well, okay, he must be a fan of the Seahawks or something. 
he starts fingering my keys one by one by one. And, you know, he had been on my neck. And I I couldn't understand, other than that, what in the heck he was doing, why he was looking at my keys. And um, finally, before I got to the last key, I said, excuse me, I don't have a bomb in my keys. So is that what you're looking for? And he just looked fabulous and he handed the keys back, and everybody's like, oh, my God, you used the word bomb, you know. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care. I've had it. I just had it. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to take the bull by the horns, and you just have to say it. And I did. And they could have maybe arrested me, but what would they have found? There was nothing on me. I had just my purse and those keys around me. Like, that's it. I was just there to go check on a little thing, and, and I was being out of there. And he just was being at ornery. Well, anyway. So I just I just feel like you have to sometimes speak up. Of course, my daughter and them, or anybody who was been with me probably would have been embarrassed. And, but, no. <laughs> but, you know, hey, I'm Yeah, not, my daughter would have been, uh, yeah. Yeah, my daughter would have been like, Dan, what are you doing? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so. That's how kids are sometimes. Their parents embarrass them. Mm-hmm. So there's my two experiences at the courthouse. Well, we do have uh, Kelly on the line, and Kelly would like to chime in. Uh, We are going to bring in Kelly in a moment. Uh, But first, before we do that, let's go ahead and hear from the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And, of course, check out the Patriot Journalist Network and everyone uh, online. Your mics are still live even through our audio clips, uh, unless I mute them. Uh, so, yes, definitely check out the Patriot Journalist Network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com. Uh, maybe I'll learn one day to mute the mics when I'm playing uh, my audios. But uh, be that as it may, let's go ahead and get Kelly into the show. Uh, Kelly, thank you very much uh, for calling in. How are you? Hey, doing good. Hello, lady. Thanks for joining us. Um, Hi. Yeah, I just yeah, I'm just glad you're with us tonight. Um, yeah, I'm, you know the, your security situation. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing, and I'm sure you, your kids' face turn a little red. But um, I I sure hope I get the opportunity. And, and by the way, I'm I'm kind of the jokester of the class. Uh, but I sure hope I get the opportunity to get patted down at an airport by TSA because I'm going to be like, I, oh, yeah, I like this. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I just want to embarrass the beep out of these jokers. You know, ruin their day, make their life miserable. <laughs> I hope it's even a guy because that will just really embarrass them. Yeah, well. Uh, anyway. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> well, I like that. As, as our, our listeners know, I kind of think differently and throw out some humor because if I don't throw out humor with all this political stuff going on in the world, I think I'll go crazy. 
I think that people do need a little humor. Yeah, one thing I, I do want to talk tonight after we get after we talk our topics is I, I do want to talk about and, and now I'm not going to try to turn into the uh, uh, the the Bible hour here, Kelly. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as you sometimes excuse me, the residents begging of doing that. Um, but I do want to talk about tonight. I had I did see an interesting article today about the Pope's uh, the Pope's visit to America. And I tell you what, to my understanding, this guy's pretty uh, pretty progressive uh, as posts go, and um, so it will be interesting uh, uh, to see more about that. So I'm hoping to maybe chime in more about uh, that tonight. Yeah, maybe uh, later. Kelly, yeah, yeah, maybe later. We've got plenty of time. Uh, we've still got you know a couple hours plus in the show. Um, <laughs> excuse me. And so let's go ahead and let's bring up to. Uh, Another topic, and kind of the main topic for this evening, is because I know you got a lot of information on uh, this, Susan. Is tell us more about uh, the government trying to take over the control of our water. Oh, oh, that's a wow! Uh, when I wrote the article, of course, that didn't go into Governor Jerry Brown and his oh, stupidity, but. Um, you find out what happens if you collect water without consulting the government. You might need a lawyer. And yet Nestle is bottling water in California, for example. So it depends on who you are and who you know, apparently. Um, oh, my thing is acting up. Um, it, uh, the guy in... Um, Eagle Point, Oregon, got in trouble for collecting. Now, I this is a huge amount of water, I grant you. And he must have been very persistent, or there's a lot of rain where he's at, but he collected around 20 million gallons of rainwater on his property. Wow. And uh, he collected them in his reservoir, and he was jailed for 30 days and received a fine for $1,500. So um, he had been given permit until it was, uh, he was then told that it's only lawful to collect the rainwater in barrels on a, on a roof and before he, you know, understood all that. And as such, he had to give it from his back. So he was ordered to drain the reservoirs, which to me... Oh, my God. It's the heck yeah, the 20 million point, gallons of water. I don't know where he's going to drain it to, you know. Uh, it didn't say that, but he um, he believes the government is a bully. And if one lays down those over for him, then they'll become even bigger bullies. Now, the other one, and I don't know how many of you know about Mark Miller and Mark Miller's Toyota in Utah. Uh, I know in Idaho, everyone seems to know him and in Utah. But uh, he was collecting water, and he was doing it to wash his cars at his dealership. All right, now this is a worthy project, in my opinion. You know, he's saving water. Uh, frivolous, you know, using the water from the, the wells and the different things, the city water. So he thought he was helping. There's free water that falls from the sky. Well, uh-huh, real, 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 quick, Susan, real, real quick, Susan, I got I just got a report here uh, by my friend Joe Pfeiffer on Facebook. Um, and it, 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 the only reason why I interject is because I bring it up. And we know how, you know, liberals are today with you know, with guns, you know, and things of that nature, you know, with, with, with banning guns and who knows what else they want to ban. 
but since we're talking about water, um, uh, we've got a, we've got a poll that came out, and then you know of, of incidences, and then what what uh, we the government way the liberals may want to do about it. It says, think about this: water is responsible for 100 percent of drowning related deaths. So if you think so, let us know if you think it's time to ban water. Water causes 100% of drowning-related deaths, so maybe it's time to ban water. But go ahead. Let's uh, with what you're going with. Then thank you, Joe, for that post. Go ahead. That's a little bit on the. But it wouldn't surprise me they're going to start taxing or banning the air we breathe. You know, I don't know. But anyway, um, uh, he was. Uh, uh, Utah felt the water belonged to the various government entities. Well, now, as you know, I'm a believe in God and I'm a Christian, and uh, the Bible said that the rain, I could quote you several verses, uh, ask rain from the Lord in the season of spring rain, he makes the storm clouds, he gives showers of rain to everyone, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Um, so if this rain belongs to God and everything else does, uh, they really have, and a lot of them profess that they're Christians, you know what, I think they need to go back and reread these verses, and they claim they go to church, so I think they're not very well versed on the Bible. So anyway, um, Salt Lake worked out a deal with Mr. Miller, allowing him to use the water, which I thought was just so generous of them to do that. Um, it lessens the demand for water coming from taps in homes or businesses by doing this and conserves a valuable commodity, something obviously they don't know how to do in California, I might add. Um, it actually, when you, the rainwater from your home or business roof, when you did, when he did what he did, it helps because the uh, storm runoff, it runs into a city sewer system. Uh, the excess often is a hazard charge of raw sewage into area waterways. This happens when the local treatment plant can't handle the capacity of the combined water flow. So the rainwater collected from the roof tends to less the amount of water it goes to the sewer system. Makes sense. And I would say in Utah they need to go back to school and apparently and relearn these things. Um, now, if, and I'm sure many of you know that Seattle is considered a very liberal city. And I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Um, but they took a different approach. And I was there and I saw it. We were in the big zoo in Seattle. And I looked into my astonishment, I saw huge barrels. Um, And you could call and get these barrels. Um, They encouraged new development through the state and had water laws. And um, they didn't want to rewrite all the laws and force everyone in Seattle to get a permit. So they granted a citywide permit that allowed the residents to set up cisterns in these barrels I even took a picture of that barrel and the water storage units without becoming criminals. And uh, the water would just drain into the Puget Sound, according to this Mr. Unger. So the city took a sensible way to let the citizens not be taken to court. And it was silly for the state to resist. And this is what happens when people stand together, as they did in Seattle. Um, this, this city is allowing it. And I, like I said, I saw these barrels, and I think you could buy them or rent them or something like that. And there's a lot of water that falls in that part of Washington State. So 
Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, I'm stunned that California doesn't call up there and say, hey, ship us some of those barrels of water, because California in the past tried to take water from Oregon, uh, Washington, and Idaho, and the governors banded together and fought them and said, no, you're not taking our water. I think it was from the Snake River and uh, a very wise news. So this is why I'm kind of stunned they didn't call Seattle and say, hey, let's ship down a bunch of your barrels of water. You got excess. But, you know, <laughs> that's another story with California. So this is what um, it's all about is, is that um, um, the basic rights, the, the, the states have passed laws, and EPA, as we'll find out later with the pond, um, to ban the collection of rainwater, and it's a, it's a serious problem. It's becoming so silly and dangerous that air attacks might happen. Uh, did you know that the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office and U.S. Corporations and Universities own 20% of your genetic code? So your body is partially the property of someone else according to their claim. They own your land, body, and water so long as they, so it won't be long until they try to own the air you breathe and possibly even in your mind. So when it comes to our government, you need to tread very, very lightly. They don't want you to be self-reliant citizens. They don't, they want you begging them for crumbs, for the water, for power, for everything. And um, our, the freedoms we have here are eroding as this nation transforms from the land of the free into the land of the enslaved. And that, just that little thing, telling you what to do with your water, is just one of those things. So, you know, while we have drought problems and shortage of water, our government has come to the point where executive orders have been issued that will allow them to take your stockpile of water away. So just remember that. We need it for survival purposes, possibly, and uh, although I only have a few gallons stored, uh, at three gallons a day, if you need to survive somewhere, uh, you know, for your laundry, the personal hygiene, drinking, um, no, I'm not willing to give up what I have. And, you know, the city over time, over the years, has shut down private wells and forced you to take their water on top of it. And I don't like that. I don't like that. We have a well right here at this little house we're renting, and it, they plugged it up because they don't want you having your own well. So that is the topic of it's more than rainwater. It's about it's about your basic right to survive. Um, I want to well, real quick, Kelly. Uh, well, real yeah, real quick, uh, yeah. Get that out, and then we've got Ed on the line, and so we want to bring Ed in. So we go ahead, Kelly, and then Ed, you're next. Go ahead, Kelly. Okay, so um, there was discussion about somebody in California that was required to drain his ponds. Okay, 20 million gallons. Well, actually, when you get into big waters, I'm, by the way, I have a degree or two in civil engineering. Um, it's only 200 million, 20 million. 20 million gallons only results in 61.4 acre feet. That's kind of like nothing. That's like a drop in the bucket. Well, let's compare, let's say Sacramento is running at 1,000 cubic feet per second of Axitina, Sacramento River running at two, um, at like 2,000 cubic feet per second. It was just, or, I'm sorry, was it 20,000 20, 20, feet per second? It was just a massive, the dams were about to spill, so at Nimbus Dam, they were just, the water was just gushing out. It was absolutely insane. But you go down to like, okay, 1,000 cubic feet per second, you know, during kind of a drought period. Well, how much would that really add? I mean, 
I'm, I'm giving you a comparison to get to the point of how ridiculous some of this stuff is, all right? So, so if he were to drain at 2,000 cubic feet per second, it'd be 45 minutes that he would drain, okay? And actually, actually right. he would replace the flow of the Sacramento River for 45 minutes, all right? But when you look at four months of drought, all right, as a percentage of the water that's naturally flowing, mostly coming from groundwater because we don't have rain in the late spring and summer, uh, any, any substantial amount of rain, the amount of water he was supplying compared to the Sacramento River, and did some quick calcs here, is uh, this is in percentage, right? 0.000026%. It's idiom. It's idi- it, 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 these, these people that get on these water boards, we've got to bring Cheryl Blytester on, by the way. These boards are typically politically appointees. They have no idea what they're doing. They don't have a science background. She did her PhD on the 30-some water boards in the district. They get paid a six-figure salary. They work 40 hours a week. They have no idea what they're doing, but they think they can save the world by recycling the pop cans, and then they get in, into, into these water boards. It, 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 ridiculum, ridiculousness ad nauseum. And I, I just... I've done environmental consulting, and I'm like, I'm a little bit frustrated that they made him um, drain his dance. His reservoir. What is, is that a different one? Because this one, this one with Mr. Harrington happened in Eagle Point, Oregon. Is that another one that they did? Oh, I thought he was in California, but I'm still giving you a comparison. No. The, the, no, that's you fine. know, he he could replace the flow in the Sacramento River. Um, for 45 minutes, but when you compare 45 minutes to the amount of minutes in four months, he's at the, the amount of water that would go by somebody. It's point zero 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 two six percent. It's it's a drop in the. It's not a drop in a bucket. It's a drop in a swimming pool. Right. Uh, that's what I'm yeah. trying to say. And and these environmentalists make them do it when they don't even realize. Um, you know, here's another factor. They forgot that 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 reservoir would actually recharge the groundwater, which the groundwater eventually makes it to the creeks. So in times of, of, you know, a year or two, maybe five, depends on the soil and how close you is to the nearest stream, he would actually be um, contributing to the groundwater. And in the late fall, when the salmon running or other fish are coming up, he would actually be helping the environment by keeping his reservoirs in place. It's, it's there just, it's just they're, they're just not, they don't think. The environmental, the, no. the environmental is in a high position. They don't think. They don't have the experience. They don't know what questions to ask. It, 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 um, in California, most of them are just political appointees because they help somebody win an election. Well, that also involves probably the EPA at, at this point. I'm sure they're part of the nonsense there uh, because in Fort Bridger, Wyoming, where I actually used to live next to that, uh, a town because I lived in Wyoming for about five years, and um, a, ma- a man is taking uh, the EPA to court because they uh, have fined him more than 16 million for building a small pond on his property. Can imagine that that kind of money, right? Um, he went to Wyoming, went through all the hoops that they required through the state, and he was very proud. Oh, he got all his permits. Pond. Yes, yes, he did. He he got there and he did everything. Uh, in a compliance order that EPA told Johnson, he had to return his property. 
under federal oversight to conditions before the stock pond was built. They tagged him with fines of $57,000 per day and asked him to dismantle the pond within a 30-day window, which is physically impossible. Now, he's fighting that, too, and, of course, lawyers have said that the EPA has overstepped its authority for fighting it. Well, I'll say they have. So, you know, when he, when you're, I can't think of his name right now, the last gentleman that spoke, um, when he was talking about that, yeah, it's not just on the water board, it's also the EPA. They're, they're bullies. They're bullies. Yeah, they're bullies. It's, it is ridiculous. Um. And let's go That's ahead and uh, let's go ahead and get Ed in. And anyone else you'd like uh, to uh, chime into the show, just give us a call at three four seven nine four five seven four two eight. Or if you just would like to listen in, that's uh, great. We'd appreciate you calling in. But if you'd like to chime in, just push the one on your number dial, and we will get you into the show. And so uh, now we have uh, Ed coming on. Uh, thank you very much, Ed, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? All right, man. Uh, great subject you got on tonight. Uh, you know, it's Thank funny you. because I just I just saw this today here in Florida where I'm at, and we don't have any water problem in Florida because we've got so much rain and stuff from, you know, everything, you know all the uh, tropical storms and stuff like that. But anyways, uh, yeah, we yeah, have alligators. But, uh, you know, just listening to you guys talk about and, and, and it's centralized power trying to control your own water and your own property. It's ridiculous. But that's what we're mm-hmm. up against, centralized power. And he, uh, today in Florida, I saw, I was like, you know, going to my emails, I happen to use the big giant MSN, you know, it's like, but MSN, it says eight fruits or eight vegetables, whatever, you should not eat, you know, and, and it explained why. And he says, because... These eight vegetables, and like carrots was one of them, I forget all the ones they were, are grown in California, and they absorb so much water that you should stay away from these because they're having problems with water out there. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> it's like they're going to tell us what we can eat and not eat because of what another state decides to grow. And, you know, I, when you stop and think about the whole uh, water control and power control that's going on in this country, it's just ridiculous because, I mean, people can't drill wells anymore. People can't do this and that. you got to hook up the city water. They're bringing water yeah, in from yeah. one state to another. And it, 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 it's crazy. We've got to get back to, to uh, you know, individual sovereignty and, and states' rights and local rights. But uh, they're just getting thrown out the window for this giant uh, conglomerate of the EPA and, and the federal uh, bureaucracy aligned with the uh, the state sympathizers who go right up with the state and say, or the federal government, oh, yeah, you're going to give us money? Oh, we'll tell our people we're going to control the water the way you want us to control the water. And those are the people that, in your state that's really the problem more so than even the federal government because they're loving getting their uh, pockets filled with money so they can tell you how they're going to control your water supply. There you go. You're right. He just mentioned about the wells, and again, yeah, I I lived it because my parents were ordered in a little town, a little town, Harrow, Washington, to 
they shut down the well, and because they hated the taste of uh, the city water, they would go out and climb down in their, they didn't close it off, they would actually climb down in their little their little house that covered the, and they would get a couple gallons of uh, well water and put it in the refrigerator so they could at least drink it. So I know but, it happens even in the littlest towns. Yeah, and that's why, you know, we have to stand up and say, hey, you know what? You're not to control the water. The water, you know, it's like, hey, if you collect rainwater, if you can drill into your property and get water that way, if you can get water whatever way you can come about water, you can't let the bureaucrats say, we're going to control the water supply and we're going to give whoever we want to think deserves some water water and we're not going to give water to anybody else. That is mm-hmm. getting into the ultimate in socialism rather than allowing, you know, uh, free market, uh, you own your property, you own the right to harvest water. If you can't harvest your own water, we are in trouble. Yeah, we are. Those are the little things. As I said, when you let the little things slide and you just concentrate on the big things, it's the little things that pile up until you have a keeping, just a gigantic manure pile of control of the government. So um, we could we could go into. I mean, I have so many things that you could throw in um, and cover. Uh, the I don't know if. Uh, no, go ahead. This we have plenty of time. The Texas cop that. Uh, and this has happened before. I could Google up several articles. Um, and when I did the one article and I want to rewrite it and re-update it, um, I had a picture of cops with their baton, you know, their, their sticks and stuff. I said, they want your lemonade and they're coming for you. <laughs> and it was partially a joke, but it's the truth. These little girls, I mean, there's so many, so many uh, 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 that this has happened. And they just wanted to raise $100 to take their dad to Splash Kingdom as a Father's Day present. So they had a lemonade Now, so far, so I know that this hasn't happened in Boise. I'm waiting for it to happen because they're going to hear about it from me if it does. And so are my senators and my uh, representatives. But um, they, the Overton, this is Overton, Texas, uh, so you Texas people listen up here, showed up and shut the lemonade stand down because they did not have a peddler's submit which comes with a $150 fee. They had kettle corn and lemonade. The lemonade was 50 cents. Kettle corn was a dollar, which sounds pretty reasonable. And if you got both, you got the whole thing for a dollar. So they weren't, you know, really creating a whole lot of competition against the stores or against anything. But the health department has to approve this, okay? So a Texas law that prohibits the sale of any food items that could spoil without proper temperature control and lemonade was included. Okay, most people aren't going to buy warm lemonade anyway. Most most people I've ever seen a uh, lemonade stand, they usually keep a cooler nearby. Um, but uh, it, I felt so sad for these kids. They're seven and eight, and they're just trying to make their own money for a little cause. And I've, I've read it before where raising money to help others and do things, and they just shut them down. Say, you know, $150 for the permit before they can make any money themselves. Uh, in 2011, these kids set the lemonade stand outside the Congre- Congressional Country Club in Montgomery County, Maryland. 
They would find $500 for not having a vendor's permit. You find children, a bunch of money. Yeah. How many years have we bought lemonade people over? I mean, I my kids sold it a few times. It was out in the country, so they hardly had any uh, traffic. But uh, uh, this is what kids do. This is how they make a little money, lemonade or different things, you know. And when I was telling one of my clients that, she goes, well, next thing you know, they'll be going against our yard sales that we seniors have in this little community here. I have no doubt. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> so that's just, what that's what? just one, another example. Well, this is anything to do with uh, water, windshields, or lemonade. Uh, but I know uh, in my locale, we got a, a notice from uh, our township government, and they do this in the city here too. And they're like, okay, we're going to come out and we're going to uh, fix your side, you know, fix blocks, not a whole sidewalk, but blocks of sidewalk in front of your house. And, you know, now this is supposed to be public property, right? But the blocks that they fix, either we had to hire a company ourselves to have the, you know, they designated which ones needed either repaired or replaced, right? And then we either had to, A, get somebody to do it themselves, you know, do it ourselves and have them, you know, and and, and us pay for it out of our pockets, and or, you know, the government will have their people come in and re- replace it, and then either we pay the government right off or they just tack it onto our property taxes. But my point is, is if this is a public fairway, you know, a thoroughway, you know, in front of my house, you know, and, and I've got to pay for it directly myself. It's, it's uh, like, wait so a minute, you, 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 uh, if I'm going to pay for it, you're not giving me the choice to have it fixed. You're saying you're going to have, you're going to have this fixed. You're going to have the sidewalk fixed, and you're going to pay for it. It's like, what the hell was that? So how did they do this? I mean, was the <clears throat> tradition has been that the city fixes the sidewalks because it's in the public right away. It's not on your property. Um, did, they, did city council pass a law to try to save money for the city? No. No, it's just it's an ongoing thing where yeah, if it's, if it needs to be. And my question is, so if I want to build a toll on the sidewalk. So people got to give me money in order to cross it. Am I legally allowed to do that? I mean, <laughs> I got to pay for it, right? So should I have a toll sidewalk in front of my in front of my house and be able to collect some funds, or or the cop going to come by and tell me I can't do that? I mean, wow. I pay for it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's something. Well, this is something wow. I had last I summer. I'm just like. Well, yeah, compared to, you know, I, yeah, because I've done improvements and other stuff and subdiv- worked on subdivisions, yada, yada. But for them to do this is ridiculous. I mean, according to tradition, unless they pass some stupid law to try to save the city money, um, that's the only way they can do it. But it's still, it's it's completely out of line. It's where you get an attorney. But what will happen is ultimately if it comes down to it, the attorney says you can't. You can't abide them because city council passed some law. It's going to be cheaper for you to hire a contractor than for the city to do it because then they have to, it's and they, and they lean your property. It gets ugly. I mean, that's you got to get a mm-hmm. attorney on this one, Roger. I, I, I want to tell you guys uh, a story how bad government uh, just 
and this is a conservative government in my county without a question. It's just the way somebody up at the state set things up. So I had this client, all right? He bought this house in like in 84, raised his kids there, met the kids. You know, they're, they're good. He's a really good guy. And man and wife still together. They're just great people. Well, next, you know, just he, he lives along a creek that curves around his property. The county decided to replace the bridge. Power company comes out and takes out the transformer because they didn't want the PCBs in case an accident in construction, whatever. It was right next to the bridge. So they took the transformer out, and then uh, bridge construction done, you know, a long summer into the fall, whatever, they got it done. Okay, fine. Called up the power company and says, okay, I'd like the uh, I'd like uh, the transformer put back. It's like, well, you have to get a permit. What? What do you mean? Well, the local building department has to prove everything you're doing at your property before we can put your transformer back. Are you, what are you talking about? It's been 20 years. I've lived here. Can't you guys just put the, No, you can't. So then the county gets involved. Okay, I'm going to tell you a bunch of departments that get involved. Well, first flood. Oh, well, you, your house has to be elevated above uh, the flood elevation. Oh, and you have to have a permanent foundation. Oh, then they come to find out in the planning department, it wasn't a legal parcel. And, and so then what? Hmm. Well... So I designed this foundation. Another engineer before me had gotten the elevation certificate. Okay, you got to raise the side. Oh, then the health department got involved. Health department says, "Oh, uh, we need a replacement field." No. How about we prove that what he's been using for 20 years still works, and we prove out a replacement area? We're not going to put in a whole new field. Are you out of your freaking mind? So I worked him out in the field. Okay, yeah, he's got reserve area just in case it fails. Oh, so now he's got his legal lot. So then he gets his foundation in at a certain elevation he's supposed to. Okay? Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, now we're all good, right? Yeah. Okay, I got a power meter in an old shed that was grandfathered in in the 50s before building permits were required. He still needed a letter from an engineer, me, that his building wasn't going to fall down before he could put the power meter on and connect to his house. They had been without power for five years, running on generators, trying to get. They, they couldn't find anybody to solve the problem. I solved the problem for him. Finally, when they got power, his wife just cried, so happy. But the government imposed the new bridge and caused all this hell. I gave the guy freaking two thousand dollars in in fees. I didn't charge him just because I felt sorry for him and all the crap he had to go through. Unbelievable. Wow. It doesn't surprise me. It really doesn't. This is what I mean about them taking our rights. Yeah, I I don't understand this. What's happened? It's government. And I finally stood. Well, we we fell asleep. People became, you know, people stopped, you know, paying attention. And the, the oligarchy took over. They changed from what was once supposed to be our representatives and to now our rulers. Yeah. Uh, they don't represent the people anymore. They they rule over us. That's what happened. And because we were kept so busy just trying to make a living and trying to raise our families, uh, because now, of course, we all know it takes pretty much, you know, two incomes anymore to really be able to get anything, and sometimes even, yeah. even that's a struggle. And so now we can't pay attention to what the government's doing. And then there's so many people who have so much apathy. He thinks, you know what, well, there's really not much we could do anyway, so let's go ahead and just take care of my own. 
Well, now here we have it. And then more and more people want to be, for whatever reason, is to be taken care of uh, by the government. And I think that I think that's in part people want to be, you know, uh, taken care of. And I don't. I mean, because yeah, give anyway. out of our but I think that's what happened. Our, our founders said government at best is a necessary evil always to be watched and never, ever to be trusted. We can't trust these people. You know that. You know, I'd rather trust people that aren't in government, like you guys I'm talking to tonight, than any of them idiots who want to try to rule our lives. And you know, that's why, you know, our founders were put up a lot of protections and a lot of barriers, and we need to get back to them to limit government. Unfortunately, we don't have a limited government. We did back in the, uh, you know, the, the 1790s and eight, early 1800s and even up to the early 1900s. But since then, it's just really grew. And this overreaching, overburdening government on the state, federal, and local level, we need to put it back in the box. It's jumped out of the box. And like you said, it's trying to rule us all. And we got to say, hey, no. We're going to control our own water supply. We're going to control our own property. And we're going to tr- control our own lives. And we don't need your EPA in our face anymore. And we don't need all your bureaucrats out there. And uh, it's up to us to get it done. And hopefully um, people are starting to wake up, and hopefully we will get it done. My favorite flag is the Gaston flag. Don't tread on me. Yes, that's a good one. Um, there's a poem, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it talks about sure. a midnight visitor from the past and how he, he talks about how they fought for us. And now you have to buy permits to travel and permits to own again, permits to start a business or build a place for one. On land you believe you own, you pay a yearly rent. You have no voice in choosing how the money's spent. And it goes on. Your money's no made from silver or gold and and uh, you've traded your wealth for paper if your life can be controlled. And that's, and that's true. We've given the government the control to do everything. Uh, the, our public servants don't uphold the solemn old faith porn. And, uh, and, and because we've let these little things become, like I said, mountains. And uh, how can we stop the big things if we can't even stop the little things? You know? I don't know if you know about the North Carolina woman that was evicted from her own land for living in a tent. Do you know about that? No, I did not. So she lived in a yeah. tent on her own property, and how, and how did they evict her? Well, she uh, she got the notice um, for living in a tent because 10 years ago, the city sewer line flooded her home with 10,000 gallons of raw sewage. I nearly gagged when I read that. I could only imagine the smell, the horror of watching that come in. The um, it backed up. Um, they had to take her home apart, obviously, raise it down, you know. Uh, and they wanted to hook back up to the city store. And she says, "No, I don't want to do that. I uh, if I have to go to court or go to jail, this is my land. This is my home." She doesn't want to hook up to their nonsense anymore. She wants to build her own system if she had that and they said no if um so they took it to the legal department in Brunswick County 
and it sounds like a battle, and uh, she's willing to fight it because uh, when authorities use a camping ordinance to evict the property of their own party from their own property, what happens then? Uh, that should not happen. If they want to live in their tent as long as they keep things basically clean, who cares? And uh, it's an overstep in a power by the city county authorities. It's not just the federal, but they take their lead. They figure if the federal government can do it, why can't they do the same thing, you know? Which which county? Yeah. Um, Brunswick. I'm sorry, which one? Uh, uh, if I'm not, I don't know if it's the county or let me see. Um, let me read this real quick. Uh, it was um, Brunswick County. Lake County? No, Brunswick. Brunswick. Oh, no. Yes. Yeah. Like the bowling people. Wow. Well, let me, uh, let me share another horror story that I experienced. Another horror story of the health department and sewage and all that stuff. This is in uh, Placer County. I bought a piece of property real cheap because the current director is like, yeah, I'll work with you. It sounds like a good idea. It was a small lot. <clears throat> Septic system here, well here. Okay, we're good to go. Um, we would seal for real deep, uh, use bednight clay so that uh, we'd have our setback and make the water fine. Well, he retired after I closed escrow. I was like, oh, great. So I get this young girl who probably went to Berkeley, Laura <laughs> Madsen. I, I, I still want to wring her neck. She was the REHS, Registered Environmental Health Specialist. And I'm like, okay, how about this? Well, no, how about this? No, look, your code say yeah. Well, uh, well, but it doesn't really say that. Yet yeah, does. And then we have another issue. Okay, here, solve, solve the problem because you got to fit le- a septic tank and leaf lines in. Okay, this works. Well, our codes don't allow it. It doesn't prohibit it. There's no restriction on this. It's a creative idea. Well, uh, no. So finally, I had a meeting with the owner. I told him, I'm calling the owner. I'm making payments, blah, blah, blah. And we both met on the site. And he said, well, yeah, there's an old septic system here with leaf lines. Like, Dave, why didn't you tell me this years ago? <laughs> so, I mean, literally, I spent a couple of years on this, back and forth, you wait months. All right. So, finally, we're out there in the field meeting with her and her boss. And I said, look, the owner has just testified there's a septic uh, tank here and an existing leach line. It is grandfathered in. This is an ex post facto state pursuant to the California Constitution. You know what she said to me? Well, our health, health codes supersede the Constitution. Oh wow! I look. Yeah, she said that. Huh. And I, I, I look at her boss. Is this true that you're claiming you are claiming the health code supersede the constitution, she, the state constitution? She says that's right. They left, wow. and I'm like, Dave, I don't know what to do here. Eventually, I just let it go to foreclosure. It's like, you know, what is the difference between? back to a way to gain my sanity because I interface with government agents, some good, some not so good. Back to <laughs> how do I gain my sanity? I, I have to ask a joke. What is the difference between God and a government agent? It's real simple. God doesn't think he's a government agent. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I got uh, did it. I say, did I say Florida or what did I say for the state for this lady? Because it was North Carolina. I wasn't sure if I said the state or not. It was Brunswick County in North Carolina. 
Um, yeah, you said Brunswick County and in North Carolina. And, you know, it's a shame that, you know, that's happening to that lady. I mean, you think back to the days of uh, Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett, and they, they weren't far from that area. You know, they're both kind of like in Kentucky, Tennessee, and parts of North Carolina. They drifted through and stuff. And, and Davy Crockett in Texas at the LMO. But Davy Crockett, before he was there, Actually, was a, a House Representative guy, and I used to pass on one of his sayings because he was really anti, you know, socialism. He was back in those days, but everybody was, you know, you couldn't give people's money away like they do today. And you know, it, it's just a crying shame that uh, you know people can't get a piece of property and live on a tent if they want to live on a tent. I mean, that's the way that. You know, Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone, you know, they might have threw together a little log cabin rather than a tent, but it wasn't much different. And, um, you know, they had a right to live the life they wanted to live without interfering with the government. And and today we're looking at people wanting to intrude on every angle of our lives, and that's why we got to start standing together and standing up. Right. If we don't hang together, we'll hang separately. That was said by, oh, uh, was that Benjamin Franklin? Or <laughs> I remember, but it was said. And yeah, I believe it. That was Ben Franklin during the, uh, when they uh, signed the Declaration of Independence. Okay. I was thinking it was. Uh, but this lady, is her name was Ingrid. She said, you, you, she's asked people to imagine what it was like to see raw sewage cover every inch of her home. And she offered to put in um, a septic tank of her own, uh, but they don't want her to do that. And she didn't make a lot of money. She made it, got a salmon, but she said it still left her in the hole. And uh, she feels that um, that uh, her fight, her struggle is for liberty and freedom. It's symbolic of a nationwide struggle. It's not just her. A beautiful statement. I, I, I agree with her. I could hear all the way. I mean, it's, all government agencies are out of control, especially at the federal level. But, you know, when you have the federal level uh, leading and enticing all the states with, oh, you want some of my money that I stole off everybody else? Here you go. And the states and all your state governors go around with it, and the state governors do the same thing. Oh, you county guys, you county commissioners, you want some of this? You know, and it's just. It's just the same thing, and it's time the Americans are starting to wake up. And, you know, we need a second Tea Party. We need a second uh, uh, really standing up to our political servants because our political servants are totally out of control. They need fire. They need replaced. Uh, every one of them, especially Obeyner Jr. and Itchy McDonald, but uh, you know, <laughs> they all need to go. Um, I want to throw out another story. Real, real quick, uh, real quick, Kelly. As you know, we want to, as you know, we want to bring some uh, folks into the show, and so uh, we do have Gene on the line, and he's got some experiences uh, as well. Still, plenty of time left. We're not even halfway through the show, so we got plenty of uh, time. And anyone else out there who would like to chime in, give us a call at three four seven nine four five seven four two eight. But first, let's go ahead and bring Gene into the show. Uh, welcome to the show, Gene. How are you tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? This is the first time I've been on a radio show before. I may be a, a bit nervous about doing that. 
But I think I do have no, no, that's okay. good experiences to share from the small town that I lived in. So you want me to go ahead and share some of my experiences? Oh, yeah. Or? You, you yeah, have our undivided good. attention, Gene. Go ahead. Yeah, this has been a number of years ago. Actually, it happened to me. I lived in Ontario, Oregon, but the lemonade stand, I guess I'll start off with that before because this was in Portland, Oregon, as I understood back then that they, a number of years ago, that they closed the lemonade stand and they were talking about it on the on the air because I was on the cable package and so I was able to get the, the, that news to Portland news. I do kind of miss that. And then uh, I went and bought a place over over in that town. I don't know if you want to mention it or not. It's close to the border and in the state of Oregon. That's but, up to you. <laughs> yeah. And then I got this property. of buying a new property. It wasn't any sidewalk, but guess what? I didn't have enough in the loan, actually, but guess what? I was, found out I was going to be paying for a sidewalk. That was part of the requirements. They have all kinds for the driveway. I didn't notice the neighbors getting a double uh, driveway that I had to put in for that. But they were talking about doing it for the handicap, and I think it was about $1,600 back then. I don't know how much it would be for now, but they did drop the retirement for the handicap, and I wasn't actually in the uh, city center, so I had so I used the credit card, and uh, they kind of held up then for a while in the property because uh, the contractor was out of state, all the regulations. But I did have to spend to have a, a sidewalk put in, but they actually did move it, let us move in before the, the sidewalk was put in, which was nice on, but uh, there's a lot of regulations. Over there, you had to get a, uh, a permit to burn. I suppose that's good for the environment, and uh, and uh, I don't. I think there was probably fee for that, and I don't. And I know you had to get a permit for uh, uh, to have a yard sale. I don't know if there's a cost to that now. But it's been updated to have a fee, so I didn't know any better. I figured at least in the Town that there was quite a bit of regulation, so I had the impression I thought it was all right to be a, to have a well. I didn't know about that these cities are kind of discouraging a person to have from having a well. That's about all I can think of for right now. Okay, and Kelly, uh, would you like to uh, make some comments hey, on that? And also, uh, what you were going to say? Oh, and then you. you what was that, Susan? I said experience is everywhere. Oregon, Idaho, everywhere. It's just going across the whole nation. Well, there's a certain law uh, about uh, <clears throat> wells and water supply um, and septic systems. Like if you're um, so close to the city sewer, you can't put in a septic system. You have to put in a well. I'm sorry, a uh, you have to have a sewer line to the sewer system. It's similar um, in, in some states to if you're this close, you can't use a well. You have to connect to the city municipal water supply. I mean, it's like, I guess they're protecting you from yourself because who knows, you might contaminate your own water because you want to poison yourself. I don't know, but that they put these codes in for certain reasons, and I'm beginning to wonder if it's, it's so that bigger corporations and, and unions have more work to do so they can take over the state house. I mean, unions are really good, and a lot of them are in construction. Unions are really good to, to take over. Like California is a perfect example of that. I, I need to stop on unions, but I've got a couple stories I want to tell you. One was a victory story for a client that he could retire, and the other is the Democratic chair of Marin County 
tasted his own medicine finally. So this first one, septic system, Marin County, which is north of San Francisco, he was going to, there's small lots in Wings Bay, overlook the ocean. He's gorgeous up on a cliff looking over the ocean, absolutely stunning. Um, he bought two lots and put the septic system on one and a house on the other. No big deal. Well, the county told me, yeah, that's fine to do. And then they changed their mind. Well, ended up he got an attorney suit and he won. It was like one point something million. Then he retired for the nice, gorgeous spec home he made. But or, anyway, this other guy in Marin County um, that's referred to me by a geologist associate down there. She's done the, uh, gosh, the guy had already spent sixty five thousand trying to get four lots approved for septic, and they they still wouldn't let them subdivide the land, even though that was the last step, because he was too too close to a creek. Yeah, it was going to impact the creek. I was like, well, according to what standard? Well, anyway, uh, so I started looking at the project and said, why don't you send me the deed? And sure enough, he already had four legal parcels, but they combined it into one assessor's parcel number. starts out as four assessor numbers, four bills. For convenience, somebody in the past decided, well, with four parcels, let's just have one bill, one assessor's number. I said to the guy, look, I only spent uh, an hour on this looking at it and looking at the whole situation, and you already have four legal lots. You don't need to go through this all this stuff. He's like, what? This guy was the Democratic chair of Marin County at one time for several years. Anyway, so I said, you don't need an engineer. You need a you need an attorney. It, just have the attorney go in and say, look, these are our legal parcels. Here's the county recorder. The legal deed and the legal parcel done. Well, they would not accept it even with an attorney and a letter and all this money he spent. And so he was stuck having to do even more work, and I don't even know what happened to him. But I'm like, it's about time these Democrats that worship the environment got a taste of their own medicine. God, Sounds like he unbelievable. Sounds like he did. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Some of us do worship the environment on this show. There, uh... Jolly. Remember who you're talking to right now. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I'm the resident druid here on the show. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, I, don't, I don't have I'm a problem with the environment. <laughs> I, I mean, look at I I I'm into organic stuff. I I I don't I find the thing as dark acid, the GMOs, and everything else. So I guess you can't say that I'm not. I don't call myself an environmentalist, but I call myself an organic naturalist. So <laughs> that gets me out of the Al Gore, Al Gore nonsense. <laughs> an organic naturalist. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm yes. so, you know, something similar to that in sounding, but we won't talk about that until after Bard's Logic After Dark. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I thought you might have sounded like so it. funny, Kelly. Maybe we'll, Go ahead, Susan. Where is the line between our right to choose and the government's right to put their standards on us? And that's what we have to ask. Where's the balance? You know, because in order to make our society safer, they're destroying our rights, chewing at them slowly in chunks, pulling them out quickly, throwing them out in a way. Our liberties, our personal freedoms. Uh, let's list it. The police can arrest you in your home without a warrant. Uh, family service can take your kids away. Teachers can it. no longer enforce discipline in the classroom. And I'm not talking about beating the children or anything like that. Um, reasonable, of course, with, you know, the, the teachers have some discipline ways to control things. Um, the courts can tell you who you can take as a lover and take your kids away if you don't comply with their standards. 
If you spank your kids, you lose them for child abuse. If, if your spouse files for divorce, of course, you control your property and divide it among the lawyers. They tell you, uh, well, then you can take your property without ever charging you and convicting you of a crime. We know eminent domain, uh, different things like that. Um, all, if the government wants your house, they, all they have to do is establish probable cause that your house was involved in a crime. And civil forfeiture comes along. Uh, and all this is for children to enforce struggles to protect you from criminals. I mean, they'll use any excuse, any reason to take away your rights. So that that's what I'm saying. You know, I mean, are seatbelts okay? Yes. But should the state have been it? I mean, they're involved in everything, from your car to your motorcycle to your... Uh, where does it? Where do we balance it at? Where do we use common sense? Where do we balance allowing the government to tell us what to do even for our safety? This is a question that needs to be um, asked and answered in, in truth. Well, and, and speaking of other things being asked, Ed, uh, why do you think that none of the candidates? I know it's very early, and perhaps uh, at some point that you know these uh, new topics will be discussed. Uh, in debates or in other media, things of that nature. Uh, but why do you think the candidates aren't talking about anything about this? Uh, the candidates are just focused on what brings them popularity in the media. And the mainstream media really supports centralized government. And, you know, that any candidate kind of steps the line, they're going to be smacking them back in place. And they're going to try to get Trump back in place. I'm sure... Trump's not going to make the nomination for the federal, the Republican Party, but you know, I mean, he, he is a good entertainment feature for him, and they're going to smack him into place. But you got to realize these people are the supporters of giant government. They are the problem. They are our real enemies. The real enemies are the people that manipulate government and want to make you believe that government is your master rather than your servant. And you're not going to hear them tell you that. You're not going to go to the media and find that out. You've got to find it out through the words of our founders and through the words of fellow patriots. Very well said. Well, what do you think about... And what do you think about Ben Carson, uh, you know, as a candidate and, and not being part of the uh, government establishment? Again, he 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 runs a nice little campaign. I have no problem with him. Maybe if he was talking amongst us, he'd be like one of us. You know, I have a great, great admiration for all you people that are working towards liberty, because you know it's like I st- studied the founders, and they're in my heart and my soul. And I believe that, you know, he, he kind of has a good vision. Not as good as I would like him to have. Not as good as, you know, that all the books I study on the founders. But he still has a pretty good vision of the founders. And uh, But he's not going to get there because of the fact is that the establishment is not going to let him get there. And, um, you know, I'd really be surprised. Uh, the establishment views for either... A, they prefer Bush, and you know about that. And B, oh, yeah. if they can Bush, you're going to have Rubio. Because Rubio is pretty much Bush's position, you know. And he, he, he is my dream. Well, in, in Iowa, he's doing really well. 
Oh, I know. I mean, uh, like I said, Rubio is probably going to get the nomination. Like I told you, the you know, I've been saying that for a long time myself. Him or Kasich, but I think I think Rubio is going to be in there somewhere, whether it's president or vice president. I think Kasich may yeah. be because of you know the one Ohio is more of a centrist. But yeah, to try to get that Latino vote, I think they're going to uh, you know they're going to be really pushing him as probably the most electable. I mean, of course, that's what the right. Republican, the so-called conservative media, said about Romney that he was the most electable, and we all see how that turned out. And we touted yeah, that, right. remember, Kelly? We touted that for months before the, you know we you know that that wasn't the case. Go ahead, Dad. Well, you know, it, it's just their game. They have, uh, you know, their their principles. The guys are going to follow, tell you that, oh yeah, we're for you, we're, we're conservatives, but they're not conservatives. I mean, like, like we were talking about, you know, it's Bush is not a conservative. He's for Common Core. Rubio is, you know, he's not for. He's not, the reason Trump's doing so good is so people are fed up with the border crap. Enough of it mm-hmm. already. We're not going to have a United States of America. We need to protect our own borders and not have our troops all over the world in another, you know, six or seven nations. Can we guard our own nations, please? And it rings home good for the Americans, and that's why Trump's doing good. You know, but, uh, you know, Rubio and Bush aren't going to give you that, and the Democrats aren't going to give you that, and the media is not going to give you that, and that's the enemy. But you're going to watch what they give you. And I'm telling you what they're already going to give you because, <laughs> you know, they make you think you have a little hope. They make you think you have a little choice. At the same time, they keep turning up the water on the pot and boiling our frogs. Oh, oh. oh, my goodness. I was just looking at an article tell, Okay, but first let's go ahead and bring things back to Gene. Uh, so, Gene, what do you think about uh, Ben Carson and the other candidates? And then we're going to have the same question uh, with you, Susan, uh, as per uh, Paul here in the chat. Uh, so we'll uh, see what uh, your thoughts are. But, Gene, what do you think about uh, Ben Carson and the things that Ed uh, comments he made? And as well as do you think that the uh, establishment is going to pick Rubio? And I've, I've kind of said that for a while. I thought it would be between Rubio and uh, Kasich uh, for, you know, you know, differing reasons. Uh, now, I prefer Ben Carson. I would really like to see him be able to pull something off. Um, he was actually someone who was recommended uh, by Newt Gingrich. So maybe if they uh, end up doing something with, uh, Carson, maybe Gingrich get his hat in the ring, but that, that's a topic for another day. Uh, but what's your thoughts, Gene? Well, I, I, I think uh, Trump has brought some excitement. It would be interesting if he happened to make it as a nominee because he, he speaks of a lot of frustration. And then on the Democratic side, I can't remember that one for Hillary that's in the, running in the race is also, I think, very interesting, too, because of his views right. and, and the Paulson views, too. The Hillary Clinton, that's what I see for the assignment, but uh, I don't know how that will work out with the establishment, and then if somehow Trump did make it all the way in there, I imagine he would get his marching orders just like Kennedy did, that he has to kind of follow in the line to the powers that be that actually run this country. The, uh, my my opinion is that the eight richest families are running this company, the DuPonts and different things, so that's kind of the excitement for the masses to watch the election, and and who's the president, but I'd like to have a president that would bring some respect to the world, like an Eisenhower type of president or 
right in, right in that would carry a big stick and make us proud to be American. And so uh, my question uh, then to you is, do you think that any of the candidates right now are someone like uh, the Eisenhower or the Reagan? I mean, I can't even say Reagan. I think the closest candidate we had to Reagan since Reagan was probably Newt Gingrich. Uh, but do you, who in the uh, who's running right now would be the closest, do you think? Who wouldn't be taking those marching orders uh, like you think Trump would? That's not an easy one. Oh, go ahead. I just didn't know who he was asking. <laughs> go ahead, Jane. We'll bring it back to you, Susan. Um, that's, at that time, a tough one, the one that's the most right and right, because Trump is very outspoken, where Raiden knew how to kind of play more with the masses to have some kind of a cat shot and different kind of throw some carrots out to make you interested. And then, of course, he... The Cubans, I think, was even afraid of them, and that are the ones that he might, they thought he'd push the button. So uh, they kind of learned to look out for the old man, so he's interested one. But it's hard to, for me to figure out who would be the most right and right, or would it be the Ben Carson person there? That's. Well, ben Carson's definitely uh, the grassroots candidate at this point. I mean, yeah, Donald Trump is. As well, you know, per se, but I really think that uh, Ben Carson, if you if you look at right now, at least in the field, and you know, perhaps someone maybe maybe not will, will come back in, uh, just like just talk about Biden coming in in late fall. So I guess even being in late fall is not um, too late to join the fray. And uh, and you mentioned uh, Bernie Sanders, who even though he is a self-professed socialist, uh, to my understanding, is still kind of doing well. Uh, so let's go ahead and. Uh, bring you back in, uh, Susan, and get your thoughts. Um, okay. Well, um, we need a candidate that understands that the government exists only to serve us, not to rule us. Because the government doesn't give us our rights. They're already ours. Um, and anyone who would take away our freedoms and liberties is committing treason to the Constitution, is an enemy of we the people and an enemy of this nation, because we are the fourth branch of government and superior to all other branches. This government is supposed to be of the people, by the people, and for the people. And the only one that I see that comes the closest, and I do have an argument with him, and I called him on it, is Rand Paul. If you really look at what he says. I I did call him on his um, Monsanto vote, um, and and he said, well, he doesn't want it. He wants to see less government, not more. And I said, well, I feel as an individual person, um, I have the right over a corporation, and I have the right to know what's in my food. And so he and I have a disagreement there. I don't Just because I choose someone or think they're the best doesn't mean I'm going to agree with them every time. So this is why I base my choice on him is because uh, of what I said about where the fourth – branch, and we, it's our right. We have the right. They're ours, and they were given to us. And we should never sit back and assume Uncle Sam is going to take care of us. And uh, it's our duty. It's our duty, as a, uh, for, because we love freedom, to rise up and slap down the government when we get out of line. And if you don't do that, if you don't stand up and assert your liberty, you don't deserve that liberty. So there's my thoughts on that. 
Kelly Why said she brought up the fo- Kelly said she brought uh, the fourth branch of government. Uh, perhaps we could be the fifth because you wrote a book called The Hidden Fourth Branch, uh, talking about uh, the hidden fourth branch of government. Uh, go ahead and tell us uh, about that. Well, he's close, very close. Um, I didn't come up with the idea of the uh, fourth branch of government. Retired attorney uh, Leo D'Onofrio, after extensive research, mentioned that the grand jury is the fourth branch of government. Yet it's composed of everyday people, which makes it uh, the people's best um, ability to express their frustrations and concerns and even go after corruption. And a distinguished professor of law, Susan Brenner, out of uh, uh, University of Dayton in Ohio, she also confirmed, yeah, it's the fourth branch of government. Um, but uh, as grand jury members, um, it's composed of everyday people, which is we the people. It is an incredible expression of we the people upon the government holding the other branches accountable. And by the way, what are the three branches of government? Do, do you know what the first three branches of oh. government are? Oh. No, no, Cheryl, no, 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 let's let's Susan, let's Susan answer. Uh, Well, what I have always been taught and understood is the Congress, the Supreme Court, and the um, uh, presidency. Well, yeah, Constitution, Article 1 is legislature, Article 2 is executive, Article 3 is judicial. But practically these days, the three branches of government are Larry, Moe, and Curly. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're yeah. Larry, Moe, and Curly. That's a... <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> so, anyway. Are you going to do the plug, Robert, for my books, or should I do it? You do it. It's your book. I think you <laughs> Okay. Yeah. I'm using you, man. Go ahead. All right. But well, anyway, real quick, but before, real, real quick, real quick, I have to do this. It's a programming note uh, is that uh, soon for the folks who are listening out there, whether you're in the chat or listening through other avenues, uh, if you're going to make it and be able to listen to what we call uh, the extended period or sometimes lovingly Bard's Logic After Dark, uh, you're going to have to give us a call within the next 20 minutes. Or even though the show will go on, as they say, uh, the audio will not. And so you will be able to hear the remainder of the show on the archive, which we do ask that uh, you share through uh, with your friends uh, so that they can listen and then perhaps, uh, you know, call in another show and become part of the show as well on our subsequent shows. We'd really appreciate that. And also you can uh, follow the show here by – uh, on Blog Talk Radio by pushing that little follow button. Or you can uh, send them in, uh, to the Bard's Logic Blog Talk website where they can go to the contact page and it has to be on the ma- email list. Uh, so definitely uh, check out and uh, listen to the show, whether it's live tonight or archived. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring uh, your friends on. So if you want to give us a call and be a part of the, or at least listen to the extended period, give us a call at 347-945-7428. Or unfortunately, you have to listen to the rest of the show uh, in the archives. But, hey, that's okay. We'd appreciate that as well. And uh, if you come on, uh, share the link, and so the friends can hear you on the radio too. So go ahead, Kelly. Let's uh, go ahead and prime it up and 
and get you to talk about the hidden fourth branch. Well, yeah, and before that, another plug for the After Dark Hour. Uh, tonight you'll get to hear a few pope, uh, jokes about the Pope. So anyway, um, that's the After Dark. Anyway, <laughs> if, if I have, if I if, suppose I drink wine, I would actually tell dirty jokes about the Pope. All right, anyway. <laughs> anyway, okay. We'll talk about the Pope in a little bit. Okay, so here we go. Let's see, Hidden Fourth Branch plug. The name of the book is called The Hidden Fourth Branch, A Corrupt Government's Worst Nightmare. And then I go through historical stories. The grand jury goes after, gosh, pick any position, um, county level, uh, the sheriff, county commissioners or supervisors, county judges, uh, state legislators, state judges, um, Gerald P. Garson, chief justice of New York. He got taken out by a grand jury, uh, federal level congressmen, senators, uh, even a president, which was the famous Watergate 7 indictment in 1974, which brought Nixon down because, oh, everything looks clean, and then the grand jury came out, and these guys are all corrupt, and it's a mess, and he had to resign after the results went to Congress and the grand jury. So it is the people's expression of this is really what we want, and you're going to jail if you're corrupt. Did they put people asleep? I guess I must have. Okay. No, I'm no, no, you didn't. We're, I'm, I'm actually, you know what I mean, multitasking behind the scenes. Actually, I'm actually chatting with someone tonight on the phone. Something uh, had a phone stolen. And so I'm trying to uh, do a little research behind the, the scenes on finding out the person who did it. Uh, because not only did they steal the phone, they also tried to... Uh, do some identity theft as well, and so I'm trying to get oh, wow. to the wow. yeah, you know, trying to get to the bottom of that. And so I'm actually chatting with someone who, because uh, what they did is they they posted on Facebook uh, using the phone, pretending to be someone else. And so uh, I'm doing some uh, reconnaissance uh, myself, and uh, maybe getting some uh, law involved as well. Uh, so you know, working on that. So I didn't fall asleep. It just I'm. Um, Chatting with the per, uh, person uh, while whilst I can. So once again, uh, the host here uh, is multitasking behind the scenes on the show. So perhaps uh, some folks will be able to help me out on that. Hopefully not. If I can get that straightened out. Um, but definitely, folks, uh, give us a call three four seven nine four five seven four two eight, or else you will miss the uh, other portion of the show. So. Give us a call, and if you'd like to chime in, push that one on your number dial. And so let's go ahead, uh, bring it back to you, uh, uh, Kelly. And then since we already mentioned it, if we want to bring up uh, the Pope, I'm not trying to be disrespectful if you got any uh, jokes about him, but I do want to talk about perhaps uh, I've got an article here on uh, something that happened in his visit today here in the United States, it's from my understanding. He may very well be one of the most progressive uh, popes, and I'm not saying in progressive as in trying to progress the tenets of Christianity, um, which although I'm not one, I know a lot about it. Um, but I, I think he seems to be more of a secular uh, liberal. <laughs> the only way I can put it. Perhaps uh, folks here may be paying attention to it better than I uh, would have a different take on that. Uh, but Kelly, go ahead and start it, and then uh, I got a little information that I uh, got today about something that happened during his visit, and 
let's just say there's a little uh, civilization that involves illegal immigrants. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, I, I want to save my jokes for later. Uh, maybe we should ask Susan what she thinks about the Pope. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, probably not. <laughs> I, I I think they're joining hands with the uh, New World Order. They've been doing it all the way along, but uh, and I don't. I'm not talking about the regular average Catholic person. I'm talking about the hierarchy again. When you bring religion and the New World Order and things like that, and they start joining hands, you have the potential for a disaster, and that's what's happening. So. That's that's my opinion on it. He is um, he is a Jesuit. He's not actually a regular Catholic. He is actually a Jesuit, and they are very sworn to control and to many things. If you just Google it up, you'll find out. And uh, he seems to be on that mission to uh, tell us about the environment. Even Michael Savage does, you know. And I've had some Catholics in my own group, uh, government bites, that have just uh, that, oh no, you know, this we're supposed to be helping people, not doing what he's doing. And I I totally agree with him on that. So, there's my thoughts. So Are you Catholic? No, I'm not Catholic. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Oh. Oh, oh, my gosh, yeah. that came out all of a sudden. And I know, to be honest, I really don't know what uh, those are. Perhaps we can talk more about it. Now, let me find... Oh, yeah, it says, this is uh, an article from therightscoop.com. And the name of the article is, one, The One Girl the Pope Picked Out of the Audience of Thousands Happens to Be an Illegal Immigrant Activist. Well, this is miraculous. It was reported earlier how adorable it was that the Secret Service tried to hold back a girl from meeting the Pope until he noticed and asked her to be brought to him. Here is a vine of the events, this little video of them carrying this little uh, illegal child of an illegal immigrant across the road to go see the Pope. Cute. Well, you wouldn't know it. It turns out that the little girl is actually the daughter of an illegal immigrant, and she went to deliver a political message to the Pope. It says, little Sophia Cruz, five, came from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. with a mission to hand the Pope a letter about five million children in the U.S. whose immigrant parents could be deported as millions watched during the live coverage of Pope Francis greeting crowds in Washington, D.C. She got her wish. Pope Francis beckoned to the little girl who had stepped out of the crowd. Sophia was part of a delegation of six children and 19 adults who had come from their California church with one important mission, to seek the Pope's advocacy and support for legalizing the millions of undocumented and how they put undocumented immigrants in the United States. Several days ago, the delegation from the San Fiora Reina de Los Angeles Church at Placita Avera in Los Angeles spoke to Telemundo and other reporters about their pilgrimage pilgrimage to D.C. Sophia said she wanted to relay to Pope Francis. Really, guys, just a coincidence? No. On Wednesday, the little girl did not get a chance to speak to the Pope, but she did hand him a letter and a T-shirt that said, Papa Rescate D-A-P-A, which translates, 
Hope Rescue DAPA, which is President Obama's executive action which shields some young immigrants from deportation but is halted after a judge's ruling. Sophia told Telemundo she was happy to meet Post Francis. Remember that Francis wasn't able to pull this pro-immigrant stunt like he said he wanted to months ago, so maybe he just found a different one. And here's some of the notes. One word, you know, you know people comment on articles. One, one word, staged. And folks, I think I would have to agree with it. And then another person uh, put, uh, the Pope has dismissed God to do man's work. And then uh, we have another person here that's pathetic. You would think the Pope is a deceiver who advocates for the third world invasion of this country. And, you know, there's more articles. Uh, who would have predicted in 1960 that the Vatican would one day fire the Pope and replace him with a communist? What was the third secret of Fatima? What was the third secret of Fatima? I'm angry that the Pope is a left-wing politician, the first Pope to address both houses of Congress, the coincidental meeting with a five-year-old uh, daughter of an illegal parent, a Pope who preaches climate change, and the next stop to the Pope, of course, is the United Nations. I can hear John Enrope over that saying in the top of his lungs, seriously. And there's more comments, and perhaps well, I'll go through some more of them. Actually, there's – oh, no, I thought I'd seen a familiar name. Never mind. <laughs> there's not. Uh, but anyway, so that being said, and folks, you only got 10 minutes to give us a call, 347-945-7428, to be a part of the extended period. So let's go ahead and bring it to our guest tonight, Susan. What do you – I mean, I know you're a Catholic, but, you, you know, I guess Christian or whatever. Uh, what do you think about that? Now, I really wish our, our, our Catholic panels would, call, would have been able to call in tonight because I would really like to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, go ahead, uh, Susan. Well, I believe – I remember where there was uh, many – what do you call them? Uh, ministers, so to speak, that did this miraculous healing stuff over the radio and over in tents and stuff like that. And they would actually have people in the audience and they would talk to them through uh, microphones or have someone go one of their own emissaries that they used, and they would go and talk to them and tell them to act a certain way and do certain things. And so it was most of the time it really was staged. And, uh, you know, these were different, different, you know, the tent, the tent meetings and different things like that, and it still goes on to some degree. And I would say that is probably what happened there. He, he, it was all ahead of time. And, um, you know, I guess if he wants to use someone like that to prove his point, uh, well, then he did a good job of it. Yeah, but don't you find it hypocritical to actually use something like that? I mean, here is supposed to be, you know, the bastion of, you know, morality, and you're being, uh, well, basically, basically, oh, what word do I want to put it? You know, I wouldn't quite say disingenuous, but fraudulent almost. Go ahead. Go ahead. What, what, what do you think? Uh, Ed, I, I think I heard you chiming in. What do you think on that? Do we still have you there, Ed? Uh, 
Well, Did perhaps you say we Ed? can. Uh, I said Ed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, until we get Ed back, let's go ahead and uh, bring it over to you, Kelly. Well, this co- this uh, Pope is so freaking liberal. Oh, Gene, go ahead, Kelly. Yeah, I, I, he is so liberal. I just wonder when he's going to start advocating the separation of church and state. <laughs> well, there is one there. Yeah, certainly. And uh, and what's your thoughts, Gene? Well, I I see him as very liberal. I, of course, I'm not a Catholic, so I just see him as a a man that's a leader of the church that I feel very uncomfortable with a lot of his different views. I know he wants to be the people's court pope and be very proper, which is kind of was different than some of them that were pretty stuffy, but I don't agree with a lot of the different views that he has, so he's still level. He's a sight yep. for people to see to go out and shake hands with, with people. Yeah, and, and it sounds like he's, you know, siding with, you know, liberals, which it's usually been, uh, which I find completely ironic. I think he's going to, um, you know, jeopardize, possibly can jeopardize Catholicism in the United States because, let's be honest, you you probably have more Catholics in the United States who would be consider themselves conservatives than liberals, and he's really yeah. kowtowing the liberal line. Who, let's be honest. I mean, most liberals don't like religion. <laughs> I mean, it seems like you want to be as secular as you possibly can. Uh, so why turning around and and kowtowing to their agenda is baffling to me, to be honest. I really wish we had, had Cindy here so she can give us a little uh, heads up on that. A lot of liberals are. Um against religion in many ways, but they are championing him. And I saw some of them get all mad that uh, people are upset with him. And I was like, wait a minute now, you're the same ones that criticize anybody who stands up for religion. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, but nothing they do is makes any sense. And I, when I use the word liberal and conservatism, and conservatives, I, I look at the way people are calling people now George Washington was a liberal. Robin Hood was a conservative. The terms change. And if you're wondering about that, George Washington, just ask King George. He would tell you he was a rebel and he was a liberal. He would not have used the word conservative for George Washington. And Robin Hood definitely did not. Robin Hood took the money back that had been taken and gave it to those that had been taken from. So he was definitely a conservative. So we have to look at the terms and carefully, you know, I describe myself that way because people, that's what they look at it nowadays. They have their definition. But I think in George Washington's day, I would be considered a liberal too because I'm kind of a, but actually I I am independent in my thoughts. I, I don't classify myself. I don't like to be pegged, you know, I I don't like to call myself a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative. I'm just, I, I'm Susan. I think for me, you know, I study, I look, I read, I ask, and that's who I am. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, I'm, I'm just looking at the, you know some of these, um, you know some of these, you know these quotes here. Uh, you know, the, one is uh, the politicizing of the Pope's visit by both sides of the political aisle is disgusting to me. The media, from both perspectives, twists his words to report half truths, while the true message he is trying to deliver flies right over everyone's heads. That any Republican who is boycotting the Pope's address to Congress should be ashamed of himself. Okay, well, they're, they're, that's kind of lacks some substance in, in that quote. Um, but let's go ahead and see if we got Ed back. Ed, you, you out there still? I, I see him on the line. Hmm. Well, Edward, uh, we're, we're trying. I do see uh, that there's some folks still out there. And so uh, just to let you know, perhaps some new folks as well. Uh, in about... Three minutes, actually. If you don't call in to three four seven nine four five seven four two eight, the show will continue. However, you're listening to it will not, unfortunately, uh, because you will uh, lose the audio. Even though the show will go on for the next hour, uh, even though all of it will be part of the archive. Uh, so give us a call if you like to listen in or even chime in about any of our topics tonight or about uh, what's going on with uh, the Pope and Catholicism. And next thing I think. Is he's going to say it's okay to have abortions. Uh, but anyway, give us a call, 347-945-7428. Uh, and let yourself be heard and uh, chime in into our uh, discussion tonight. And here's another one. Um, Simmons puts uh, here the title, Is the Pope's Dream or Totalitarian Nightmare? It says uh, another of the Pope's closest advisors is Cardinal Oscar uh, Maradiaga, appointed as the coordinator of the group of cardinals established to advise him in the governance of the Universal Church and to study a plan for revising the Apostolic Constitution on Roman Curia. It says Pope Francis undoubtedly knows that some of these ideas are not likely to be states as they did in Latin America. Uh, the Pope also knows, however, that the U.N. is poised to strong-arm member nations to sign on to an impossible globalist agenda that will require a total shift of the worst world's wealth and the restructuring of international politics and economics with a one-world government and a universal religion at the steering wheel. It says the Pope visits uh, the U.N. this weekend. Ooh, and I'm so against the UN. I did a blog article on him, and I I assume you know. And so I, he's obviously joining hands with him. Uh, but you know, the John Birch Society uh, had a thing way back in the early '70s: get us out of the UN. And they're a very evil entity, and. Um, I, I add to that. I say get the UN out of us, out of the U.S. So I don't know uh, why he's yeah, doing there's just a bunch of U.S. hating. <laughs> and we fund them. They, they wouldn't do nothing. It wouldn't have nothing if we didn't give them all of that money. They wouldn't even survive. They wouldn't be here. So. Yeah. Go ahead, Kelly. Me. Well, I thought you were chiming in, so I was just opening it up for you. Well, yeah, I, I want to ask Susan a question here. So sure. you're a believer in, in uh, Yeshua or Christ. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Do you believe we should follow the footsteps of Jesus? Um, well, it, yes, and yes, okay. I, I do. Um, but when you interpret it the way liberals do, they're, you know, Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. And um, in in the Old Testament, let, let's take this for an example, they they took care of the poor. The poor were allowed to come in the fields, and they were allowed to glean them after the harvest, the stuff that fell on the ground. They were to be allowed to pick up. You notice that Israelites did not, for the poor people, did not give them welfare. They gave the stuff to them, but they had to come in and do the work to get that food. So it was help, but it was they still had to do for themselves. Actually, so a little stronger than that. In, in in the in the uh, in the Torah, it was it was. When I say Torah, I start talking. You know, Yeshua. I start talking like I'm Jewish because, well, I come from a long line of Jewish hog farmers. But um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bacon. So, but anyway, actually, it was Bacon. than that because God, God said, "Look, loan freely to the poor. If you do not, I will hold you personally guilty of sin." There was no system in the scriptures of the Torah where you were, the government forced you to give to the government and the government gave to the poor. There was no such command. Fascinating. It was a personal thing, a very personal. And you think about it, there's brilliance in this because, you know, where I'm at in the tough part of town, poor people, I've got a good reputation for them. Hey, you got a few bucks. Yeah, here you go. You can get a cheeseburger. I get frustrated because then I want my money out and then all the cheeseburgers are gone when I want to get one at the convenience store. But... Um, the uh, when I when I give money to somebody, it opens the door for conversation. And when conversation happens, they start dumping on me all their problems, and I start throwing out a few things. In other words, yeah, money opens the door, but I I can help their heart. I can give some some input that can really help them. Now the government can't do that. When someone's down and out, or they need this, or they need a connection to get a job. How does government, okay, they try, but on a personal level, what's the efficiency? Oh, gee, it's 100%. You know, the 350 I give, the uh, 4 bucks I give to somebody, they can go buy a cheeseburger, 100% efficient. And I have an open door to to gently guide them back to get their feet on the ground. why you don't have the tab for the show. The what? Okay, what was I, was, um, I was looking at uh, the gleaning. Uh, uh, for the poor, he, he, you're right. Um, the Unfortunately, it looks like we lost that, folks. Go ahead. The custom well, of allowing the poor to follow the reapers in the field and glean the fallen spears of grain is illustrated in the story of Ruth. And um, a reaper could easily impose upon the master by leaving too much for the gleaners who might be his own children. Uh, so, yeah, it wasn't an actual, like, commandment. But they were blessed if they did that, and they were. It, it, it was an agric- agricultural law. Uh, it's really what it was. Um, well, you, you might want to check out Deuteron- yeah, Deuteronomy 15, I think it is, or Deuteronomy 5. Loan, loan freely to the poor, or I will hold you guilty of sin. It's a personal thing, not a yeah. government thing. Right. Oh, no, it wasn't a government thing. Uh, no, no. Uh in fact, generous landlords in Syria actually still do this. 
Um, and, you know, Jesus, he said the poor will be with you always. And it wasn't because he wanted to make anyone poor. It was because he knew that for different reasons, different situations, there was always going to be rich and there was always going to get poor. And from my own personal opinion, I believe that we learn lessons by helping or whatever, the poor, I, you know, and uh, Jesus did too. But I think there's a difference between helping and people not trying. And I don't like to help someone who doesn't even try to do anything. What's amazing is helping at the local homeless shelter. It's amazing how many of those believe in God. It's absolutely stunning. Because what happens in poverty is people are put through pain. When they're put through pain, they start calling out to God. Now, the rich folk, the really uber-rich folk, what did Jesus say? It's harder for uh, the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to fit through the eye of an eagle. Right. Yeah, through their pain, they may actually find God. It, it's it's stunning how, you know, when the, okay, devotion's time, and they, you know, you don't have to come if you don't want to, but they do, and we just sit around and we talk. And, you know, I get a question for you. Man, I really wish Cindy would have been able to come here tonight, because I really want to ask her these questions. Um, is that it looks like one of his, one of the Pope's closest advisors on climate change Okay, Brian uh, Arco says, what, it says to understand how the Pope thinks. It is helpful. It is helpful to glimpse at some of his closest counselors on these topics. I'm talking about uh, climate change. One advisor on his August Global Warming Encyclical is the controversial professed atheist, Professor John Schlumelholder, or Schnell, whatever his name is who was appointed to the Pontifical Academy of Science and has been accused of advocating population control. So what would a God, what fearing, whatever, head of the Christian God, church, whatever, and I personally don't have anything against Catholicism, Christianity, or Catholics, or Christians, or whatever. I really don't. However, that being said, I begs the question, why would someone who is supposed to be the head of the church be having one of your advisors an atheist? What the heck is that? Well, it's real simple. You know, it's follow, it's lead by example. So this guy is, you know, way up in the Catholic Church now. He's an atheist who believes in population control. Well, lead by example. Kill yourself. Lead by example. <laughs> there you go. But I mean, I, I mean, what, 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 what kind of? I mean, how can a religious leader, religious leader, I say again, um, be saying that he's living by the tenets of his religion if he's having one of his major, major advisors to be an atheist? I, I, I don't get that. I mean, well, that, I don't his know. Religion. Define his religion. I don't think it's from scripture. I really don't. Is it nine o'clock yet? Can we get into after dark? Oh, we're in after dark. Okay, yeah, let me ask you the question. Okay, so I asked you we the are question. Now in Lo- we are now in Bard's Logic after dark, which is okay, after midnight for me, but yes, yeah, after nine o'clock for you. Go ahead. All right, the jokes will come out later. All right, so Susan, I got to, you know, I asked you, do you believe we should follow 
footsteps of Christ? And he said, yes. And one of the most amazing things about Christ was he was confronting the Pharisees left and right, and because of that, the people followed him. There's many reasons why they followed him, but that was one of them. You know, he had like 5,000 people crowding around him, 3,000 another day. It's like, this is crazy. I mean, I'm lucky to get three people following me if, unless I talk too much, but that's violating the eighth deadly sin, which is talking too much. But do you, okay, do you believe that if we follow in the footsteps of Christ that we should confront hypocrisy? On a personal level or a government level? <laughs> uh, he, all of the above. Uh, I think yeah, when it's a personal, and like I say you know the person, you have to be a lot more careful when it's on a government level. I think um, Christ was very firm. He cusses uh, remarks in parables and things so that the people understood. Sometimes the Pharisees didn't. Um but when he wanted to make a point, he knew how to tell a parable. He knew how to express it without, you know, he didn't swear or do anything like that. He just he just made a point. You know, it's sort of like if you're a good debater, you know how to make a point that is coming across. What kind of debater, Kelly? <laughs> well, we're talking. Uh, okay, I like. I commented. This is, this is after dark. I, I was so impressed by all the different. Um, by the presidential debate, all these 11 candidates, and there's like, this is, wow, they're all good points. This is amazing. They were all, I'd have to say, master debaters. Ah, so you think some of them should have confronted each other about the hypocrisy, right? (laughs) No. That was just a side joke. All right. Well, what's beautiful about Christ, okay, (laughs) what's beautiful about him, he addressed each person he talked with according to their need, and their need, not his. And it was absolutely stunning. The one at the well, he just talked with them. His disciples would ask him questions, he'd just talk with them. But the Pharisees, however, he would confront them, even going to, to such an offensive, uh, to them, offensive statement of, uh, you wrote a vipers, how will you escape the fires of hell? You search to and fro the world to find a, con- uh, a convert. Once you do, you make him twice the son of hell that you are. I mean, he hammered him. Of course, they retaliated by killing him on the cross. But it's fascinating that Christ addressed each person uniquely to, you know, the one at the well. He stayed at their village for two days. Jews aren't even supposed to talk to Samaritans. Uh, It's beautiful how he addressed every person according to just where they were at and what they wanted. It was absolutely stunning. Yes, it was. I'm, I'm going back to my question is if we were to walk in the foots of Christ religiously, let me clarify this, religiously, should we confront the hypocrites? Oh, I I would say probably yes. Uh, it can be dangerous ground. And I think that uh, people that have at times have really paid for it. Um, we look at John F. Kennedy. I mean, he's confronted on, on issues. Uh, a guy, uh, oh, I can't think of his name right now, from our own state did that, and he was um, diesled uh, as punishment. I, you can suffer if you do. There's no doubt about it. So you have to be prepared for the consequences when you do. That's for sure. Yeah, we might be crucified. 
I, I've often thought that if I stripped in Congress and said, give me liberty or give me death, uh, I'd get stoned on the Capitol step. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you would have You'd have both, actually. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I, I called Mitch McConnell, and, um, and I think I told you what I said. I told him he had a pair of fluffy card ones, and I would send him gladly. I'd pay for it, a pair of brass ones. I haven't had him take me up on the offer. Hmm. Balls, so, balls, in other words. <laughs> well, Robert, Robert, let's uh, let's let some other people talk for a bit, then I'll tell you a clean joke about the Pope. Sure, and actually, let's get ready to bring uh, Gene in. So, oh, we just lost Gene. Oh no, let's just get ready okay. to bring Gene in. I thought he was on uh, the phone, so he shouldn't have. Yeah, he was. The, the said caller Gene has dropped. Looks like we just lost the gene. Oh, just get ready to bring him in. Darn it, I wish I would have uh, done that earlier. Now, I hate when that happens. I need to just interrupt everybody when I think that they should bring somebody in. But <laughs> I'm just getting ready to. And uh, I think you may uh, know Gene uh, there. So let's go uh, you know, tell them thank you for coming on to the show uh, tonight. And we'd definitely like to have him back on. Uh, so, you know, tell them that we said, you know, thank you and that, uh, you know, hope you call in and we, we're just getting ready to let him in. We're just getting ready to, uh, you know, get him in. <laughs> oh, I man, I hate when that happens. I, I just messaged him and let him know that. Okay. Unfortunately, yeah, once, I, the, once the call drops, uh, once, yeah, once the call drops uh, after, uh, Barnes Logic After Dark, you're not able to uh, to call back in, which is um, you know unfortunate, but unfortunately that's how things are. So it looks like uh, we just got us now, and so we'll just have to uh, you know go with what we got. And if you want to add something in the chat, <laughs> it's for you to convey, uh, Susan. That's fine. Um, we're Cindy tonight. I don't know. I, I even texted her earlier, and I didn't hear, and that was about something different, but I didn't hear back from her, so I'm not really sure uh, what's going on with Cindy. It does call me, calls me for a little bit of concern. Um, so hopefully we'll be we'll hear from her soon. Oh, okay. I, I was kind of disappointed. I love hearing her. Um. Yeah, me too. And I definitely want to get her views because I believe I believe she's Catholic, so I really would like to have gotten her uh, her views on, on you know on the Pope. Is what I was hoping for. And uh, my my computer the, the 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 thing is not. I have no net net connection now, so everything is going wrong with everybody apparently at this point. Um, but I did have some other stuff. Um. Sure, we got time. It was on this California Governor Jerry Brown plans to take farms by eminent domain for water tunnels. Did you know about that? No, and Kelly, you're from California. Did you hear anything on that? Jerry Brown did what? Kelly? There you are. Moonbeam, what did you do? Governor Brown is uh, planning to take farms by eminent domain for water tunnels. Oh, geez. 
Masters still are through bottle tunnels um, proposed by him. And uh, like just Richard Elliott, he grows pears, cherries, and crops on Delta land. He, he said, they're going to bully us. Again, we got the word bully with the government. And um, I got, you will be so impressed, an email. I get them about once a month or twice a month from Daryl Issa. Issa? That, I can't remember how it's pronounced. Um, and so he sent me, uh, yeah, California reaps bitter harvest of environmental extremism. Um, and, he, and he sent me the email. I got, now I have no clue. I get Twitters from representatives, uh, Jason Chavez. I, I must be from my emails and my petitions. I so I get them from everywhere. Um, so anyway, um, he said that um, the lack of preparedness for preparedness for this multi-year drought is an example of what happens uh, when historic boldness and ingenuity take a backseat to radical political ideology. And this happened in the 70s, actually, and I don't know how old you are, but um, Jerry Brown uh, embraced the tenets of the movement um, and set ambitious goals to create a futuristic golden state in the vein of environmental idealism. And, uh, like, he spent the money on, uh, you know, they wanted a high-speed bullet train and different things, and uh, they could never have prevented a drought. But they could have done other things. Um, Despite having the ability to preserve and expand infrastructure restoring water, so once again, they're asking, we should have stored water, we should be allowed to. They They could have done it to help with the dry years. The lawmakers chose to put a deliberate halt to such reasonableness. And you know, in the Old Testament, and getting back to the Bible, what happened with uh, Joseph when he was king? God said there'll be seven years of famine and seven years of prosperity. Prepare for the drought. And so they stored grain and all kinds of food and everything else. And see, California didn't do that. They were too lazy to. They, uh, oh, the environmentalists, as we have talked about, the EPA and everybody else, such an ocean. And in 77, there was a drought, and rather than seeking out water sources, he called for a 25% reduction in personal water use statewide. And he's doing the same thing again besides these water tunnels. And this is what um, I, was sent to me by Mr. Ita. Uh, and um, so, yeah, if you're from California, then I'd like your thoughts on that. Wow. Um, eminent domain on the water. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, that's right. The Constitution requires just compensation, which for up in our county where there's water wars, that'd be millions and millions of dollars. Um, hmm. For some local ranchers. Oh, my gosh. Eminent domain. Really? Yeah. Um, really. I want to see the specifics because, yeah. Um. Yeah, it just 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 a thought of it frightens me. Well, Emmett Domain is very frightening. Anyway, um, Mike, I don't know if you know who he is, but the Natural News, um, by um Mike the Health Ranger, he writes political and health stuff, and um, California to nationalize private farmland to build water tunnels to support leftist desert cities amidst the drought. 
So it's, it's, it, I, this is why I say when I, I double-check, I look for different articles on the same thing. And um, not every, of course, I'm sure not every Democrat goes with that, but, uh, you know, they have to look at their constituents. <laughs> and I'm sure they all have some. But um, the whole article is uh, uh, about that. Uh, Department of Water Resources has a unit creating a secret land acquisition plan to take 150-year-old farms like ours through condemnation, said Cortland, C-O-U-R-T-L-A-N-D, farmer Richard Elliott. His family has never sold one square inch of their land. This plan doesn't make for sustainable food policy, smart land use practices, or even common sense. So they'll give them a state would first make the Delta farmers one offer, and they have 30 days to accept or reject it, and then they can force them to sell. So there you wow. go. This is Jerry Brown. Yep. The, uh, boy, well, the closer that uh, California goes to eminent domain, the closer the state of Jefferson's uh, going to happen. That's a whole other topic. That's Northern California counties. Um, oi. Oi, oi, oi. Um, you speak to us, huh? <laughs> well, here's yeah. what um, I'm looking at. This is brought, uh, brought the EPA. I'm going to do two things here. One, this article that uh, one of our contributors uh, sent to me, uh, it's actually from the EPA.gov's uh, website, uh, and you're back uh, slash water sense. Uh, backslash outdoor backslash rainwater underscore reuse dot html and uh, this is what they say about that and then I'm going to play some uh, clips or you know at least one but maybe a couple uh, with Newt Gingrich on uh, conservatism and conservation it says uh, this is from the from the website in addition to efficient watering practices watering your home's landscape with rainwater or reused water can help relieve the strain on the local municipal water supply. However, rainwater and gray water uh, reuse should not be used as a replacement for water-efficient landscape and irrigation practices. Be mindful that the first steps of water efficiency outdoors should be drought-tolerant, low-water-use landscape and wise watering, says rainwater. It says rain barrels or cisterns can be used to collect rainwater for irrigation and other outdoor water uses. Commercial rooftop collection systems are available, but simply diverting your downspout into a covered barrel is an easy, low-cost approach. Some states might have laws that prohibit collection of rainwater, so be sure to check with your state's water resource agency before implementing a rainwater collection system. For more rainwater collection, visit EPA's green infrastructure webpage, Rain Harvesting. And also, uh, that's as reuse. Let's see. Let's check that out. Uh, just gives you different uh, ways of rain harvesting on here, which you know, may be, may be in, uh, interesting. Um, actually, I probably i look at this uh, myself. It looks like this guy's got a little reservoir in his yard. Or not, maybe not yard. It looks like more of a business than actually from his yard. But did, did you say rainwater or brainwater? I wish brainwater would fall on the environmentalists. <laughs> well, that's funny. 
Um, wow. I think you said rainwater. But, you know, like I said, in Seattle, they looked at it a little different, and thank God they were innovative and smart enough to allow and encourage uh, the collection of barrels. It makes me wonder, we have farmers, and when we had cattle and they ran out on the grass, we had, we got, you know, horses, you have those big tubs that huge, huge metals that you fill with water. Uh, what are they going to do if rainwater falls in there? Are they going to take your animals away or what, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I have, have some some interesting looking things on here, which, uh, you know, I you know I like. I you know, let's tell you what. Let me go ahead and play the uh, the audio uh, for you folks, and then we'll we'll move forward. And this is a note on conservation and conservatism. For a TV, the world is thinking. And so the first message, which I spent a lot of time the last few days on conservative talk radio, to the shock of some of, of my radio hosts, has been, you know, you can be a solid conservative and love the environment. You can care passionately about conservation. Uh, I remind Republicans routinely that Theodore Roosevelt uh, created the National Forest Program. The Gifford Pinchot was a tremendous leader at the Department of the Interior, that it's in fact possible to have a very aggressive program that is oriented towards a better future and a better environment. Uh, but that to do that, you've got to look past any particular argument over ideology and start with core values and then work towards uh, what we would describe as a market-oriented, science and technology-oriented, innovation-oriented, and entrepreneurial approach. The second conversation is with friends on the left who really love the environment but have come to describe the solutions in a fairly limited way of higher taxes, more regulation, more litigation, bigger government. Because I think there are potential breakthroughs. And many years ago, I read a book by Watzlowick et al. Uh, called Problem Resolution, Problem Perception, Problem Resolution. They were California psychologists writing in the early 60s in response to the Freudian model. And their, their question was the following. If you come to see me and I just make you better, do you really care why you got sick? Or are you happy just being better? So let's say you suffer from claustrophobia and you have two strategies. One is to listen a long time and I'll eventually try to find out why when you were four years old your uncle locked you in the closet and ever since you've been claustrophobic so you can start to unlock being claustrophobic. The other is I can teach you four things to do and you'll quit being claustrophobic. Now if you just quit being claustrophobic would you like to forget that topic and go on to a new one? And in a sense what we're trying to develop is, is the following assertion. We are at the beginning of a cycle of scientific change so profound that there will be four to seven times as much new science in the next 25 years as there was in the last 25 years. I think these are real numbers. Now, if there's going to be that much scientific change, if you're trying to design a project at the national level for the next 25 years, which is a reasonable length of time, my two grandchildren will be 31 and 33, so this is not forever. In that context, if it's four times as much change, a planning committee trying to understand what's going on would resemble a group in 1880 trying to understand this evening. Now, 1880 is pre-electric light, pre-automobile, pre-airplane, pre-long-distance telephone, pre-motion picture, pre-radio, pre-television. And to go and see somebody in 1880 and try to explain to them how you got here tonight 
how you use a BlackBerry or a cell phone or, or how you use a car would be a daunting challenge. If there's seven times as much new knowledge, then it's as though we were in 1660 with Sir Isaac Newton trying to discover calculus. Now, why does this matter if you care about the environment? Because it is very likely that a system which focuses on incentives, prizes, entrepreneurship, creativity, market effects, can, can accelerate the development of new solutions so dramatically that 10 or 15 years from now we're in a different world. Okay, and looks like uh, Kelly accidentally uh, booted himself, unfortunately. Uh, so it's uh, just us, as uh, they say. He may uh, have me transfer over some jokes, perhaps. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but you heard the audio, and I don't know how often or how much you've listened to Newt Gingrich. I know we listened to him a lot in 2012 uh, when we were covering the 2012 primary and uh, subsequently the election as well. Uh, so what are your thoughts on what he said with, uh, you know, conservation, environmentalism, uh, and his approach? Uh, you're asking me? But you're actually the only one we've got left here. <laughs> oh, well, I see. <laughs> um, you know, I he's, he's correct in the sense that, you know, going back in time, you know, I'm not a Newt Gingrich fan, um, but um, when it comes to the environment, I'm Al Gore stuff is just nonsense, and I don't think or know that Newt Gingrich supported Al Gore. Um, no, I do not. Like I said, I don't call myself an environmentalist, but I do believe we have to be sensible, and I am not for the chemicals that we. You know, in my own home, I go to the health food store or Boise Co-op and I buy all-natural stuff, vinegar. I require my clients to. I don't like the sprays and the, you know, those that still use some of that. I'm just like, I think that hurts our ground more. And, uh, you know, the stuff that Monsanto uses, Roundup and the different things, we're, we're eating and making ourselves sick because of these problems. But that that is not environmentalism. That's environmentalism is really extremism. They go they go out on a limb with anything and everything, and people lose jobs because of it. So, well, one that, of the things I said, and I said this for a long time. Yeah, and I said it for a long time is that you know the environmental movement has been hijacked uh, by the liberals. Because it's no longer really about, uh, you know, protecting the environment, protecting the earth. Um, it's more about establishing and promulgating their liberal agendas and using, that's what makes me so angry, is using the environmental movement, using us true environmentalists, someone calls, you know, conservationists, whatever, you know, nomenclature you want to put on us. But, you know, they're using it for their own uh, ends, not, not not so much as to protect the environment, but as for the redistribution of wealth, is what I think they're doing. Is what I think they're doing. Oh, it's definitely a money thing. There's no doubt about it. Um, for example, Soros is behind um, 
in Monsanto. He's behind many things. Al Gore has made, I don't, I don't even want to even fathom how much money off this environmental movement. And yet he takes his big planes and does all the right. stuff. And just, uh, the only global warming that there is is in his pants whenever he's around a masseuse. Okay, that's Wow, yeah, you really take it to this parts logic after dark thing. Uh, what can I say? But uh, yeah, well, yeah, well, and 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 the and the way they rationalize it is they say, well, you know, because I'm contributing so much to the environmental movement, then you know, I pretty much, you know, what I'm doing and convincing other people to be environmentally conscious conscious is offsetting. You know all the you know carbon that's put out by private jet in my big homes uh, in doing so, and so that's uh, that's how they they rationalize it, which I don't agree. I mean, I mean you know I tried to uh, you know walk you know not just walk to walk but talk you know not just talk talk to walk to walk, such as uh, you know try to use as many hydrocarbons as least hydrocarbons as I have. I have a uh, my car's a hybrid. My mower is run by electric, and my trimmers and uh, blower are electric or run by batteries, uh, so that I'm not putting, you know, these fumes into, uh, you know, the air by, you know, running on gas and oil. Uh, so, you know, I try to do that, you know, that as well, you know, make sure, you know, I drive more consciously in order to, uh, to save the, the, the gas I do. I mean, if this tells you something, I have a... Um, a hybrid SUV, and I literally spend about thirty to forty dollars every two weeks in gas. Hmm. You know, I, so I probably only burn about fifteen gallons of fuel in two weeks. That's how, how much That's I usually, good. you know, you know. And as I said, and it's a hybrid. I, I mean, it's a hybrid, and but it's a SUV. Because everybody in my daughter's school seems to have a, an SUV or a van or something. Of course, kids at her age want to fit in. So when it's time to buy a new car, because I had to, it had to be an SUV. So I figured if I'm going to buy an SUV, I'm going to buy a hybrid. <laughs> well, I wish I had the money to, but I have to just buy older cars and go with them. So oh, it's not it a brand new car. It it's a 2006. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a brand new car. It's, it's, a, it's a 2006, that's for certain. Which, boy, I really wish I had time to, to, to wash it more. <laughs> My poor car is always abusive. I just, I'm so busy to not give them the, not to get oil changes and things of that nature, but, you know, vacuum them out and, you know, wash them here and there. But I just, I just don't have time to do the detailed uh, work on them that I really would like. Uh, really like to do it's a nice metallic light metallic shade of green and um anyway i'm just i'm just pining for my for my car never mind me yeah. well okay well uh, you said you know, you know not much I, re- of... I, re- I recycle i recycle and I, sometimes oh yeah we do a lot of that too. they don't recycle and I say, let me take it home and offer it in my recycle, you know, the big stuff, like big jugs or something, and plastic. And um, Al Gore has never sent me a thank you or an autograph picture or anything for that. Shame oh, gosh, I don't think I'd want an autograph picture of, of him. 
<laughs> I could sell it, maybe. <laughs> well, so, you know, and, 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 and speak. Well, and then one, you know, one thing is, you know, people say all of this can't exist. Is uh, I've got another clip here uh, that we'll play. And this, of course, is again by Newt. You know, I mean, I, obviously you could tell I'm a big fan. Um, what, you know, yeah. one is, you know, I mean, look what he's done for this back when I was a Republican. I'm not anymore. But he definitely did a lot for the Republican Party. I think he did a lot for, um, you know, conservatism, especially back when he was having his fight against uh, the 80s. Uh, against Hillary Clinton, a lot, you know, well, look, you know, Hillary, you know, Bill, both, you know, pretty much the same person, uh, you know, back in the 80s. Right. And I feel like if Hillary does get the nomination, which is kind of back and forth on that, I think if he was to run, he would beat her. I figured he'd beat her in the 80s. He'd probably beat her again today. Um, but to be that as it may, uh, let's go hear, hear about green conservatism, which is a coin that Newt uh, – uh, a phrase, the first, point. which is, uh, my newsletter on Monday will be about, is green, conservati- green conservatism. I want to be very clear about this concept. I taught the second Earth Day. I was a coordinator of environmental studies. Ronald Reagan issued a positive statement on the first Earth Day. The environment is not inherently a liberal issue. Virtually every American would like to see biodiversity. Virtually every American would like to see clean air. Virtually every American would like to make sure that we do not have uh, unnecessary climate change, recognizing that the climate changes all the time, the natural biological rhythm or natural organic geographic or geological rhythm. Having said that, what happened to the environmentalism is that the, the hard left took it over so that the environmentalism became an excuse for hysteria, it became an excuse for big government, it became an excuse for regulation, and then conservatives said, well, I'm against that. That then got translated into, well, then you're against the environment. And nobody stood up and said, wait a second. We need to have a fundamental, alternative, better solution. Let me give you an example, which you are aware of because of Three Mile Island right here. In 1979, the left made a movie which was about as intellectually honest as Gore's recent movie. It, was, it had Jane Fonda in it, which told you almost all you needed to know. And it was called <laughs> The China Syndrome. Yeah. And it's just, it's just fundamentally false. It's a lie. But the combination of Three Mile Island and the, and, and the China Syndrome all of a sudden led to an end to developing nuclear power in the United States. Now, let me give you the numbers. When you, when you go back home and you run into your left-wing friends who are really desperately worried about, about carbon, and they really worry about Kyoto, and they think that there are going to be 20 feet of ocean next Tuesday, and the penguins are going to be walking on sand, and, oh, my God, why don't we do something? And, of course, whatever the something is means more government and bigger power. Give them the following number. It will drive them crazy. If the United States had developed nuclear power at the same level as France for electricity production, we would this year put 2 billion, 200 million tons less carbon in the atmosphere, and we would be 15% better than the Kyoto requirements. Now, of course, they'll probably tell you, well, you can't do that. You say, okay, tell me, tell me again how important Kyoto is. I'll tell you again, once again how important it is we do something now. To show you how stupid the left is, and I mean that word deliberately, because you, you watch these people and you try to figure out, how do they make these things up? Gore testified recently that he wants to have no new coal-burning plants until we have the perfect coal-burning plant. This is after a man who wrote in Earth and the Balance that the greatest threat to the human race in the 20th century was the internal combustion engine, which meant that he had managed to somehow skip Stalin, Hitler, and Mao Zedong. Uh, not an easy trick for somebody who was actually going to a very successful private school, but he did. Uh, 
here's the fact. A, a new coal-burning plant produces 25% more electricity for the same amount of carbon. So if Gore, if Gore was serious about reducing carbon, he would actually be offering a tax credit to block modernize all of the current coal plants into a next generation coal plant, and he would immediately get a 25% reduction in carbon per, per unit per megawatt of electricity, which is, by the way, more than Dianne Feinstein hopes to get by 2040. And he would do it without any government coercion, without any litigation, without any regulation. He would do it because it would just make economic sense to do it. So I believe we can create a green conservatism based on science, based on incentives, based on tax credits. And I think we can actually do a better job than the left because their bureaucracies inherently can't deliver. Superfund spends a third of its money on regulation and litigation. That money ought to be spent on engineers and recovery. And that's a total, we can offer a better model. So I just want to urge you, don't back off on this. Be prepared to go into the Philadelphia suburbs and say to the most passionately interested environmentalist, terrific values, here's a better way to get there. And we will suddenly have a new dialogue in America. What do you think about that, uh, Susan? That makes, that makes sense. It, it does. Um, the government interfering in anything it probably should be taken to a state level, however. Uh, we, we can see, however, that Gary Brown, you know, that the environmentalists actually, in this case, ruined the chances with water and now they're resorting to something else. Um, I think Michael Savage, he believes in, for example, preserving, uh, he, he doesn't think everything that, he, he believes in protecting our world and our land, to, uh, uh, you know, but he, just, he, he agrees, they're, they're crazy. And so I'm not saying Newt is wrong uh, overall, no. Uh, not, not at all. I mean, in that sense, he was, he was right. I do think there has so to be ask some. You. Go ahead. Well, I got. I got to ask. You said you you, knew you weren't a big fan of Newt. How come? Well, he is. I think I explained that before. He has been. And John Birch Society has exposed that he is hmm, part of the New World Order. He may be a mild, smaller form of it, but he is. Um, and uh, I think some of them get in that thinking they're really doing the right thing, and then they don't. He, he's teamed up with, uh, he, he's friends with Hillary, by the way. Behind the scenes, they were, they were friends. Um, she's friends with a lot of people behind the scenes. <laughs> I mean, on both sides of the aisle. So I'm not sure how she does it or how she did it, but she she has. So... But he, no, he's. I'm not a fan. I'm not saying he's the worst, but he's definitely not mm, the best either. I'm very suspicious of many of them being part of the new world order, and I'm big into that. I believe it's fair, you know. And I, I, I think even Phyllis Shafley, you know, I'm a big fan of hers, as I said. I think even she knows that the kingmakers, uh, you know, how they pick and they choose, and and. Uh, they picked Rockefeller, for example, to be there, and he was stunned, and they were stunned when Goldwater got it. And the Republican Party actually did their utmost to destroy his campaign. They were upset. They didn't want him. 
because he was more of a conservative. So, um, but no, he's I, not. Who's he's that? Not, I'll, I'll uh, look at something real quick. What? So, so 2012, who was, the, who was the candidate you liked in 2012? <laughs> well, um, I liked Ron Paul, obviously, but he wasn't put in. And, I no, I did not support Romney. And before that, I definitely didn't support uh, McCain. Oh, my God, McCain is horrible. Um, I went for uh, um, Gary, uh, what's his name, the Libertarian. Um, Yes, I voted for him And I know I'm sure I'm being condemned But Idaho is a Republican state So it didn't affect anywhere for me to go third party As I normally have I have only gone one time And that was for Reagan Other than that I have gone third party Prospero and all that And probably had I been able to vote and old enough I would have gone to John Kennedy so well, I know I I don't well yeah you know, go ahead yeah you know, well mostly I voted for uh, for Republicans because there was a time I was a staunch Republican uh, not any longer I'm an independent um, I you know president wise uh, I voted for pro the first time not the second time um, and then I did you know, in 2012 I voted for Virgil Good of the Constitution Party. I voted uh, for him uh, for president. Yeah, we. I tell you what, go back in our uh, our archives, our uh, archives, 2012. We we interviewed a lot of people, a lot of candidates and party leaders uh, from the Constitution Party. And actually, earlier this uh, this past spring, I believe, yeah, the spring, I was uh, I did a live show from the Constitution Party's uh, spring meeting. Uh, so where I talked to a lot of the leaderships and the candidates, actually I got to get a haven't talked to them in quite some time, so it'd be nice to get them back on the show. But um, so yeah, check back in the archives and you'll see where I've, I've we did a lot of interviews with Constitution Party candidates. I did get the chance to interview on a couple of occasions uh, Virgil Good uh, from the Constitution Party. I even got the opportunity to meet him. Uh, let me tell you a little story: is uh, Salt of the Earth guy is probably one of the reasons why I decided to vote for him. Um, besides the interview. Is that uh, I know he was uh, he had a, an interview. Uh, well, he's actually doing a, a, an alter, an alternate party debate held by Free and Equal in Chicago, when he was driving through Troy, Ohio, uh, to get back to um, to get back to Virginia, uh, where he's from. And so I contacted him because you know I had his con- you know had his contact number, and so you know I was on my way up to all my up to Troy, Ohio. And I said, Virgil, I said, you know, we're having, he was having a little a luncheon out up there, you know, things of that nature. And I want to, you know, meet him, maybe even interview him uh, personally. And so I called him and I said, Virgil, I said, uh, I'm probably going to be running late. I'm probably not going to make it. Um, so if you need to go, you know, then, you know, I understand. And he goes, I tell you what, he goes, I'll wait here. He goes, and you call me when you're close. And I'll give you, you know, the directions to how to get to the restaurant they were at. And um, so I got close. I told him, I said, I'm running. So he gave me directions on how to get there. Well, I met the guy. You know, I met him. He bought me lunch. It was only like hamburger and fries at this little diner he was at. Um, but I got to meet some of his staffers. I uh, met his wife. Uh, got a picture. I'm going to have to find that. I got that picture. I'm going to maybe put it on Facebook or something. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll post it on 
uh, something where I, I was able to get a picture with them. Uh, but I don't like live pictures, so maybe I won't. But anyway, uh, but Salty Youth Guy, I had a great conversation with him. We exchanged uh, one of the things uh, that he collects is he collects uh, political signs, um, you know, that you put in your yard. And right. he collects those. So, yeah, so I brought a couple of, uh, the, you know, the, the yard signs for, like, Newt Gingrich and some of the other uh, politicians and, you know, gave them to him to collect them. And then I got a couple pins from him, you know, the, you know, with their face on it in their election. So I got a couple of those. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, just, I mean, you know, I'm not mainstream media. We all know that. But, the, but, but he waited, you know, for me to, to, to come up there and, and had the conversation, which I thought was uh, very nice of him, you know, to wait like that. I was, I was really impressed with him. And it said impressed enough to to vote for him in 2012. Um, I mean, I've even voted at least locally. Um, I voted for uh, some Green Party candidates, you know, just for the fact that, you know, I, I think that we need a I think we need a multi-party system. I'm really fond of, and we've also had uh, who's a he's a professor. He's been on a couple of times. Uh, he's a professor at Xavier University, uh, where one of his well, his, his his main expertise is Irish politics, Ireland, you know, Irish politics, um, and then multi-party systems. And that's what Ireland has. It's a parliamentary system, which has, you know, about yeah, five main parties. Okay. And I feel like in the, in the way that they vote is uh, proportional representation, in which, you you know, let's say you got five candidates, and you say, okay, I like this guy in this order, this gal second, and this guy in third. It's very mathematical the way to figure out who wins. Um, so it's mathematically complicated. But I think it's the best form of representation that there is uh, because of that. You know, so the, the first person you like, you know, didn't get enough votes, well, maybe the second person that I voted for, you know, would, would get in. You know what I mean? It's not first past the post like here in the United States. Um, it's almost like uh, it's almost like a tournament of sorts, you know, where people get knocked out and then they go back in depending on how many points they have, things of that nature. Um, so it's, it's fascinating. But I, I just think that they're, they're, they're better represented. And then the, what the government has to do is they actually have to, instead of bickering back and forth, they have to, you know, build consensus. They have to build, um, you know, where you have, you know, the different parties working together in order to, you know, work out the problems of the country. You know, they have to make coalition governments, you know, where they you have a couple different parties, you know, coalescing together, you know, to be able to get things done instead of two opposing parties, at least what we're supposed to have. But we, we both know that really isn't the case. Um you know, supposedly battling it out. <clears throat> but, yeah, we've also got him in the in the archives as well. So if you're interested in a multi-party system, which I think that – I think we're due, at least a third party. But, I mean, I, I would I mean, I mean, would like to see four or five parties be able to come out into the floor and get enough. But uh, the duopoly of the Republican and Democrat parties have, have it so set against, uh, you know, any kind of alternative parties, Libertarians, Constitution Party, uh, Green Party. Uh, you know, those folks, you, you make it to the fore that, you know, I think there definitely needs to be some changes on that. Um, well, I one year I wrote in a candidate. Yes, I did. I wrote in Morris Who the it Cat. was? I wrote in Morris the Cat. Morris the Cat? 
Yes, oh, I well, did. I don't, I, don't think, I, I don't think I've ever done that. Bob Dole, uh, not Bob Dole, um, oh, Rich Senior was running against, uh, oh, what was he, I think, um, the Democrat candidate. Um, I can't think of his name. Um, some little weasel guy. <laughs> and I looked at both of them and I was just like, Oh, my Lord. No, 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 no. And my mother had bought me um, every year a Morris the Cat calendar. And this year, that particular year, there was a poster that came with it. It said, vote for me, Morris the Cat. And he's sitting with a sign beside him, uh, you know, in the poster. And I I looked at the thing and I said, I'm writing it in. And I called uh, the local newspaper to find out what was going on with local elections in Emmett, Idaho. And I mentioned they asked me a few questions, I said, well, I voted for Morris the Cat, and they wrote an article, to this day, I still have it, I, they wrote an article, is Morris the right man for the job? <laughs> oh, wow. I still have that. Yeah, well, actually, was, I, I, I didn't give a, go ahead. I, I, think I, did, I, I think I did that once, and unfortunately, I'm going to have to get ready to uh, close out the show, uh, but I did it, I did do that once, I actually wrote in Snoopy. Uh, one time, uh, the, the Peanuts dog Snoopy. Uh, as I, as oh, I wrote him in, real, uh, mine was a real cat. Well, yeah, that's true. Really, yours was a real cat. Mine was, yeah. But uh, yeah, I voted for Snoopy one time. I, I wrote in Snoopy. I can't remember, you know, what the the context of it. Um, but I, I did do that uh, one time. So, but anyway, uh, but lastly, if there's any other folks out there, since I'm getting ready to close the show out, who are from Kentucky, definitely check out Matt Bevin's uh, campaign. He's running for governor there in uh, Kentucky. Definitely give him your support. I mean, he he, he needs it's a very close race there uh, for the governor of uh, Kentucky. Uh, and we have had him uh, two or three times on. I think the first time we had him on was when he was running in the uh, against Mitch McConnell in the primary uh, for Senate, and then we've had him on twice uh, as he's running for governor uh, for Kentucky, and uh, we may have him on one more time before then, uh, but if you are from Kentucky, uh, check, check him out, help out where you can at uh, com. Uh, whether it's through money or you know, trying to volunteer in these last legs of the election, which I believe is on November the 3rd, uh, a very important election for uh, Kentucky, and I would even dare say uh, for, you know, the, the country as well, because, of course, you could always use more conservative uh, uh, governors. And uh, Matt Bevin, you know, through all understanding that I have, is a conservative. Um, and he's like definitely – and he's a like grassroots candidate. He's never held – you know, he never held political office. So it would be great to be able to have a grassroots candidate, uh, never held political uh, office before uh, to, you know, be a, you know, run one of the states of uh, the country. So definitely, so check out his website. And so, of course, folks, uh, it is time to uh, bid adieu. And uh, we are looking forward to our guests next week, which is uh, Karen Schoen and also Christine Timmons. Uh, it'll be interesting having both of those ladies on. Uh, we may have to postpone one of them to give the air uh, the other uh, more time, but we'll see how it pans all out. It's always uh, fun and organic here on Bard's Logic Political Talk. And, of course, share the link up or other folks can uh, listen to it. You can even listen to it on your uh, iPhone and also your cell phone. 
or Android or whichever they are, um, as well as iTunes, and of course with the, the link here on Blog Talk Radio, and also share it on Twitter so your followers uh, can listen to the show and let them come on and participate, and of course be heard and be a part of the show. And of course, I will end tonight as I do every night. And that is with a song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music, Aubrey Ashburn's music, by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. And until then, folks, uh, please, as I said, share the link. Put uh, the link out on Twitter or Facebook or even email folks uh, as well uh, because we are a grassroots show. So we'd like to get as many grassroots people to listen and, of course, call in as well. And tell them, call us on Wednesday evenings at 10 p.m. Eastern Time at 347-945-7428. And so without any further ado, I will uh, begin the song of Aubrey Ashburn. And again, at www.aubreyashburn.com. Take care, folks. Good night, and we'll see you soon. Good night. Good night, Susan. Thank you. Lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.